have I got a story for you. Feral. In a wild state, especially after escape from captivity or domestication. Christian. Relating to or professing Christianity or its teachings. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. Andre Psyche. We haven't spelt that in a while. A-N-D-R-E-Y. P-S-Y-C-H-E dot com. What is it? It's the cute, quaint corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merch you have no idea exists. Why? Because the internet is huge and you've never been to the northwest part. It's tucked away, right under Alaska. When you get there, after your long journey of typing in www.andrepsyche.com, what will make it worth your wild? Let me give you a little preview. We're talking literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, two new songs out, poetry, or any custom gift that your soul may desire. How? 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 Will Andre know what your soul desires? All you need to do is message him. It's kind of simple. He's not a magician or a wizard, but he is a freelance creator extraordinaire. And if you send him some details of a gift you would like created, poof, it'll appear. So go to andrepsyche.com and see what speaks to you, because each and every item has a story behind it. Nothing is made. Everything is created on andrepsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Do us a favor. We need and appreciate your support, so if you could take a moment right now and push the subscribe button, whether you're listening on Apple or Spotify or whatever app, hit subscribe, and if you're really feeling frisky, I don't know if that's a feral or a dad joke kind of a thing. Please rate and review the Getting to Know You pod, especially if you are listening on Apple. And if you have not already, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod to see pictures, updates, and postings. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Search us up. It's getting the number two, no, the letter U pod. And finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world. The podcast is downloaded in, wait, 20 is written here, but we're up to 32 countries. Shout out to Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Argentina, and Brazil. And the majority, 80% of the United States. So again, if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatevers, just message us. Our advertising rates are extremely reasonable, and we would love to partner with you. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know Eric. Eric, who I believe is the first guest from Wisconsin and very much unlike me, is not struggling with uh, keeping a, a tight haircut going in this corona world. 
loving the do. I didn't get to tell you that when I saw you on video, Eric. <laughs> well, thank you. Actually, there's a funny story with that. So I, I like to like do creative things. And when this all hit and like, we couldn't get a haircut. Um, I told my wife, I was like, I, I need to get my haircut. And so she's like, well, I'll cut your hair, but if it looks terrible, you need to take credit for it. And <laughs> you can't tell anybody that I did it. And so she did it the first time and I looked at it and I was like, Hey, that's, that's actually, this seems fun. And so I went out and bought myself some clippers and it's become like a, a little bit of a hobby for me. I I'm still not great at it, but for some reason it has just sparked something in me where now I'm trying to learn how to cut my own hair. So I appreciate the compliment. Oh, dude, no way. Like that's a, I, I mean, I didn't zoom in or anything like that, but it looked like a real solid fade on the sides there. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I'll, I'll tell you, there are some real bad ones at the beginning, <laughs> but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I do wonder. That's a great point. I didn't go that route, but man, I should have. I always like trim my beard up and stuff. Um, but I was scared and at my hair, I think it was like four or five months, man. And I'm much like you, like I'm a one, three, five, kind of a fade guy straight up. And it was weird having hair just growing for four or five months, man. I felt so unkept. Yeah. Well, and my hair is just like the sides grow so fast. Right. And so I just start looking, looking real unkempt. And so it was just one of those things where I'm like, you know what? A real bad fade is going to look better than nothing. So let's just jump in. But I was also, I told my wife, I was like, what other time in history is it socially acceptable to have a bad haircut? To just look terrible. So like this, this is my time to learn because like everybody gets it no one's going to judge me for having a bad haircut. So I was like, I'm taking this opportunity. Yeah. And zoom meetings and whatnot are like the ultimate equalizer in, um, acceptance as far as dress because, and it's yeah. funny. Cause like we did it too, like with the video and it happened to me actually with one of the senators, I felt terrible. I'm a huge, like basketball shorts, cut off t-shirt, cut off the sleeves of a basketball t-shirt rocker. Yep. And like, she hit the video and she was like, no, nah, I'd really prefer to do it on video. And I was like, God, you know, I had, I hadn't <laughs> shaven in two days and I was like so reluctant. I was so excited to get someone like her on who's running for you know United States Senate. Like, I'm like, dude, you're legit. And here I am looking like a bum. So I think you're right. Like people completely accept Zoom hats, you know, where you normally wouldn't in yeah. some sort of like business meeting. It's like, oh, you're in your PJs. Cool. Don't worry. Yeah. One of the things I said is it was like, I went out and bought more pairs of wind pants because like wind pants were like the dressy like pants for quarantine. So it was like, I don't feel right wearing sweatpants, but I just, there's no way I'm going to be wearing jeans if I'm around home all day. So it was like wind pants were like my new, like, Hey, I can feel okay about this. Um, And so now I've just got, I've got a pretty good stock of wind pants going. And you know, that's something that needs to culturally shift because women can get away with the yoga and nobody's looking bad at them. You know, you go yoga, a little oversized sweater, put your hair up and all of a sudden it's like, wow, you dressed up for work. But I don't know if dudes can pull that off and be like polo shirts. I don't think guys have gone past really like the polo shirt as the typical like casual business look. Yeah, I'm telling you, if 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 girls can do the oversized sweatshirt and yoga pants, which like I'm all for, like be comfortable. I think guys, I think the look that that needs to become socially acceptable is wind pants and a hoodie. I feel like that needs to become like something that we can go out in and feel good. 
I think that'd be a game changer for us. And then it would be until you saw the 55 year old man, the 60 year old man who's doing it in the white new balances. And you'd be like, God, I'm one, (laughs) I'm one pair of shoes away from being that guy. (laughs) That's true. Hey, aren't we all one pair of shoes away from being that guy though all the time? I feel like we're all just one bad pair of shoes away from being that guy. Dude, that's so true. I, I noticed it. I went in the supermarket today and I caught myself looking at the way like this guy was dressed. I was like, God, how come he doesn't care about how he looks? And then I like looked back to me as I was walking and I caught a glimpse of yes. me like in a reflection of like a car. And I was like, who are you to think about that man that way, Sean? I'm like, dude, yep. you rolled straight out of the house to the supermarket. You know, like you did, you put no effort yeah. in. Well, that's what we're all, we're all rolling that direction, man. That's, that's where we're, I'm just realizing I I try to have like one, like kind of fashion part of my wardrobe that is, that is new. And, and so like, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor and, and I've got a a youth pastor that, that works with me and he's, he's very young. and, And so like, I'm constantly like, Hey man, like what's one thing I can do to like stay somewhat like not super old man. And so he's helping me out. So I appreciate that. Dude, youth pastors are are critical into style, man. Like if you go to a church, the youth pastor yeah. is going to be the one that's really putting in the work. Like the, I guess it would have been like a typical millennial or um, what's that other, God, what's the word that it was going around for a while with the glasses, the beard, the flannel. Hipster? Yes. Hipster. Yeah. You know, I feel yeah. like that's faded a little bit, but they would be the one that would be in touch with the style. Oh, for sure. Youth pastors, like they're the hardest working people there are. And you're right. Like, cause not only do they have to like do the work, um, but they've got to like fit into the culture. And I just like, I don't have energy for it. Like, I don't know how they can like <laughs> just have the emotional energy to just care what's going on. And so like, I'm just so lucky I can be like, Hey man, tell me like, is it like, can I pull off a long shirt? Would that help me out? If I just like, I can wear the old man pants, the old man shoes, but like if I'm wearing a long shirt, does, am I, am I all right? How and, many rolls? And he can help me out. How many rolls on the sleeve do I get? <laughs> am, I, yes. am I staying at the wrist? Am I going above the elbows? What am I doing? How many I'm buttons? You, How many buttons do I do? Three exactly. or four? <laughs> Well, and it's a science because you gotta you gotta find that middle. You're like, I can't go too far because then you know people are are gonna you know the the older people are gonna have an issue. So you gotta find that balance of it. So yeah. so he helps me out big time. But I'm telling you, the wind pants and the hoodie, like well, especially like you said, I'm from Wisconsin, and so like hoodie season for us is like you know a solid eight months out of the year. And I just jeans and hoodies are they're okay, but like sweatpants and hoodies it's a new level it really it really feels nice did you ever get into the skinny jean phase because i refused i i wholeheartedly i i I went boot in even now like boot cut and baggy are like what i used to consider skinny jeans anyway but i'm wondering oh no go ahead i can't i can't (laughs) like i i like i i would try but like i just have like i just have big legs like that's just it just wouldn't work. Like, I feel like you've got to have some kind of skinny legs and I just have, I just don't have legs that work with that. Um, and so like, even like something that's considered like a boot cut kind of looks more like a skinny jean on me because I just got these, I just got these stumps that I'm walking around (laughs) with. And so like, I don't even need to get into the fat. I just, I struggle enough finding pants that just don't cut off my circulation. And so, yeah, I can't get into that. 
Yeah, I didn't understand it. I I never, it just never made sense. It was when skinny jeans came around, that was when, so I'm a teacher. And when skinny jeans hit, I, I was like, this is my moment. This is my line in the sand. I'm, I'm old and I'm not going it, to, it's my get off the lawn <laughs> moment. Like, what are you doing with skinny jeans? What are you doing? Like, that's all I would yeah. say. It was a whole thing. And, um, God, that had to be like, man, five, seven years ago. So it just yep. goes to me aging gracefully and still being cranky. Hey man, there's nothing wrong with being old. Like I'm, I'm ready for it. Like I, I'm, I got gray hairs now. I'm 35. So I'm like, I'm rounding that corner. Um, you know, and I just, I'm feeling it. Like I'm making sounds when I get up out of chairs and I'm just like, I'm going to embrace it, man. Like you can fight it if you want, but it's so I just, insane. am like, I'm embracing it. You, you got to, man, you drive yourself. It, it's going to be, it, it'll actually be interesting to me. I think about this because it's funny. We started the podcast off and we were like chatting about image, right? And like a lot yep. of people, that image is your identity and then there's your self-worth. And now if you've established this identity, and you're fighting the new identity that Father Tom's undefeated. He's going to win, right? Like it, yep. it's, it's inevitable. And you just wonder, is there going to be this wave of like depression issues based around getting older and kind of fighting it, not accepting it and just being okay with, dude, what, what does it matter if I got gray hair? Right? Like what, right. why is it a big deal? Why does it bother me? Well, dude, and I think we're seeing a lot of this with, you know, the the way that with everything kind of getting shut down and everybody has to do everything differently, we're seeing how much, you know, we really lean on the the image that we've built of ourselves is I, I do this this way, I dress this way, I go do this, um, oh, you know, I participate point. in this and that. And and I think you're right. I think we're seeing kind of this wave of of just depression and overall like what I've noticed just being a pastor and, and being somebody that that people are are pretty real with and and are willing to open up about like what's going on they're like everyone's just emotionally like just in a weird place because i feel like a lot of people have lost the things that they use to say this is who i am i do this this way and suddenly you can't do that and you you got to be like flexible and you got to recreate your routine and for a lot of us that's just that's really hard and i think we are seeing just some emotional uh issues that are coming from just everybody having to recreate just basically how they view themselves because the things that they used to use to feel like, okay, I fit here or, or, you know, this is who I am and I'm comfortable with that. For a lot of people that's been taken away from them. So they're just stuck in this weird, like, who am I? And that's why even, you know, with aging, I try to be flexible um, because I understand ultimately like all the everything changes like that's things are constantly changing. I mean, other than God in in my belief, like everything is going to be different than it was before. He's the only thing. So for me, it's just trying to understand like, Hey, I used to be able to run a mile. Um, I might not be able to (laughs) at some point, you know, and just getting used to the idea that things are always going to be changing and, um, and, and just be flexible. Cause is death worth, being able to say, I kept a seven minute, a mile pace till I was 60. (laughs) Right. Well, but I think if that is your identity, like if you're like, I'm a runner, that's who I am. It like, I've seen people really be willing to, to give up everything 
to keep that identity. And that, that kind of goes down to, you know, the whole idea of the ego and, and, and those kind of things of like your, your, the, the ego inside of you is going to do whatever it has to do. It's going to, you know, form whatever reality it has to form to make sure it protects your identity. Um, because that's the most important thing. And I think that's, again, just going back to the the pandemic and what everyone's dealing with. I think that emotionally, that is what is just really hard for people right now is they feel like they're losing their identity and they're not quite sure how to regain that. And something that, and I hadn't, I just said and twice. So that's as, as a complete side note, it's so humbling to hear yourself speak time after time. And it's not like I listen to every minute of every pod that I record, but I definitely right. pick up on my stupid little idioms about just weird sayings that I say. I'll be like, you know, it's funny. And I'm like, wait, you were just telling me about your mother dying of cancer. Why did I lead with, you know, it's funny. Oh, that's how I like gather my thoughts, you know? And right. it's just, I don't know. So when I said, and two times in a row, I'm like, can you step your game up, Sean? Get it, get succinct and get tight. <laughs> but, no, dude, no, I get it, dude. Being a pastor, like you're preaching every call. week. And and it is like, and, I, I constantly am hearing myself. I do the same thing. And a lot of times, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a marker. Like, you know, when I'm transitioning in my thoughts and my right. brain, you know, I've got my words that are just like my brain knows to go like, oh, we're shifting gears, say this word. Yeah. And so it is humbling because you're like, oh, man. That's not exactly how I want to sound. I, I wanted to God, see. And now when people bring stuff up, I wanted to talk about the ego thing and the identity. But I'm kind of curious now about virtual preaching. Do you do you like watch it back to like critique yourself <laughs> to be like, you know, my body language could have been a little better here. I really could have emphasized this point with a good stern gesticulation at the right moment or nah. That's a really good question. And that actually, I mean, I'm going to get a little long winded here. So if you, if you need to get a drink, go ahead and get it. But it it is very, (laughs) I I try to, I try to balance. um, I will, I will watch it for like technical things. So I'll watch it to be like, Hey, like, can people see me? Well, like, is the lighting <laughs> terrible? Dude, you know, can you people imagine? hear me? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just well, thinking of it like, is. The, if, if you never checked it and then like, no one wants to say something, it would almost be like if you had your zipper down and no one wants to say something, but imagine this yes. preacher for just weeks, all of a sudden yes. his head has not been in the shot. <laughs> like yes. a month later, someone's like, you, you know, Pastor Bob, we haven't been able to see your face and the camera's That's just exactly on your crotch. That's exactly it. That's exactly <laughs> what I, I will watch for that kind of stuff right. and just make sure like, okay, like, cause I always try to experience it through like someone else. and like even when like even when I wrote the book, it was like I, I wrote it and I was done and then it was like I picked it up and I was like, all right, like. I'm going to read this as if like, I'm just a random person because that just helps me kind of like get in someone else's head. So I'll watch it that way. But I've always like, even as a pastor, like I never, I, I really try to never manipulate emotions when I talk, because to me, that's, that's a very slippery slope. And I, and I grew up with that. And that actually was one of my wounds that made me walk away from the church is I I got to see behind the scenes. And, and I, I started to see that, like, you know, people even practicing, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start really quiet here. 
and and then the I'm going to build up and I'm going to get more emotional. And I saw him practicing and I was like, what? Oh, there's a like, whole science it, behind it. I mean, it, it's, it is. Yeah, it, it, it can be. And especially if you're going to a place that you want to see as virtuous to, to be confronted with that sort of reality of whatever, you know, oh man, we get more people in the audience or, oh, you know, the tides are just so much heavier this week. Everyone's just feeling the spirit and we're getting twenties everywhere. Like you're looking yep. at, you're like, that wasn't what I thought this was about. <laughs> that yep. would be scarring. no, and that's exactly it. And that's what, you know, I had that experience. So when I was a teenager, I mean, I grew up in the church and my, and my parents were like, we're just such solid people. And it was, it was awesome. And, and basically when I was in high school, me and my friends, we started a band and we, we just like, it was, it was we were so lucky because um, we just had all these breaks go our way. And, and we got to the point where we were like actually kind of traveling around and, and playing for youth groups and stuff. And it just, it, it opened like the curtain for me to see behind the scenes. And I just remember as like a 17, 18 year old going like, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like fake stuff here. Like, and just trying to balance that, trying to be like, I've seen some things that are real and I've seen some things that are fake and, and I don't know how to make sense of this. Is it real or is it fake? And that, that was a huge battle for me. And, and so like, for me personally, like with my whole long journey and all of a sudden I'm the one up on the, the platform speaking, I, that's a commitment I've always made is like, I'm not going to manipulate. I'm not going to play games. I, I'm just going to speak and I'm going to try my best to speak from my heart. I'm going to trust that, that that's enough. And so, like, like I said, I will watch it back for the technical aspects because this has been a, a challenge for most churches to just try to figure out how to do this. And right. for most of us, it's been pretty sloppy. Um, so I'll watch it for that. But I definitely won't allow myself because you can fall into that trap really easy. I won't allow myself to go down that thought process of like, well, how could I have made this more emotional? Right. Um, I just, I can't let myself go there. It's, it's all about the visine, my friend. So you put the visine <laughs> dropper right next to your coffee cup and you just yes. turn back for a moment, get a good little squirt and then turn yes. around, make sure the lighting's right. So you get the glistening. <laughs> yes, dude. I'm telling you, there is a whole science behind it, man. There's a whole science behind it. And that's what like that is what really I'm trying to fight against because because what what's going on is even where I was at, like when I was a, a teenager is, is I I really believed in in this stuff. And but when I looked around, it was like, man, but this isn't right. Yeah. Like 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 this doesn't feel it's like deceptive. what I'm reading in the Bible. And, and I just got really restless and I got really frustrated and I just felt like I was just kind of living on the outskirts. And I got to the point where I felt like, man, I mean, I'm either going to have to just like become numb to like this restlessness, which isn't me. I don't know how to do that. Well, that's I, I the best way to have this off. That's the best way to have any relationship with anything is to become numb to it. <laughs> right. Well, that's a, especially so that's spiritually, like, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, either I'm going to have to become numb and just be like, well, it is what it is, which that's just not who I am. Or like, or I, or I got to leave. And, and so that's where like, I just left the church and I, I never really stopped believing in God. It was just like, I couldn't reconcile those two things. And so like when I, when I wrote this book, 
feral Christian, it was like, to me, it was like, I know there's so many Christians out there that are where I was at, especially right now. I feel like what what's going on in our country and just all the chaos and turmoil and um and all this stuff it's it's pulling the curtain back on the church a little bit and people are kind of seeing some of the stuff that I got to see when I was a teenager and they're they're, they're feeling the same thing and I don't want them to think like hey that's my choice like I either have to become numb or I got to walk away cuz I don't think that's true but I think this is a time where you know, we, we need to, as, as people who are a little restless and frustrated, we, we need to step up and we need to, to really push some things forward in our own walk with God. And and so for me, like, that's what shifted is I was like, you know what, I am going to, to walk this out exactly how I think I'm supposed to, and I'm not going to play any games. And if that makes whatever church I'm going to uncomfortable, you know, they're, they're going to, you know, obviously I'm going to talk to him and, and we're going to be, um, you know, respectful about it, but yeah, like, see, that's, I, and I'm sorry, push man. this. I, I, I don't no, mean you to go cut ahead, you off, um, because, and I, for listeners and I don't, I feel like I say this almost every pod, um, we're not doing video. So it's always harder to interject cause you can't read that. Like, Oh cool. He's about to say something body language. Um, right. That's exactly where my mind went when you're telling me your age like at 17 and 18, so you take a typical church kid anyway, they're usually, they, they care about respect. They care about respecting their elders. You know, that would be like yep. a moralistic thing. And you're being confronted with these. That's that's almost like a, a another like conundrum is like, how yep. do I even approach what I feel is wrong in a respectful way where if you're older, you kind of just know how to deal with people. Yeah, and it was hard. And I would say for sure, I did not deal with it the right way. I mean, it was, it was just like, I, I did it totally wrong. And that's kind of, again, why I, I wanted to write this book. And I, because I, I, there was no roadmap for me. It was like, okay, you're frustrated. You know, you see that things aren't how they should be, but there was no like way to go, Hey, okay, here's what I do. And so it's like, as a 17 year old, that's just frustrated you're probably not going to make very good choices. Yeah. And so, you know, that was, again, my heart is if you look like there's always been like instances of, of just the church getting off track and doing things like, Hey, you shouldn't be doing it this way. And it always required those, those people to like step up and say, wait a minute. Nope. This, this is not yeah, you gotta what reorient. we're supposed to be. You got to recenter. Yeah. Reorient. What were That's some exactly of the, it. What were some of the things? that um, were going on that confused you, perplexed you, or made you say, nah? <laughs> it was, well, the biggest, like the biggest thing was, so I was born in 85. So, you know, when I was in youth group, um, that's, we're talking like late nineties, early two thousands. And that was really when like the, I guess, Christian, Puddle. rock star wasn't it puddle like of mud he, what was that song if i can't swim after 40 days oh that's jars of clay jars of clay yes jars, jars of, clay. of clay that that was like yes. that era and then you find out like whatever six months later because like no one has internet it's all dial up and expensive you're like oh man they're that's a christian group like no way yeah. they don't play christian music yep. on mtv and you're like yeah yeah jars and of so clay. it was this weird it was this weird time where like we like like people started dabbling with the like I want to be a 
a, a pastor, but I want to be like famous. Right. Like I want to be known. And it was like, we, we've always had like some, like, you know, the Billy Grahams and things like that. Yeah. But that was really where like, like the cool pastor, like really, like there was like, there was never really the cool pastor that wasn't a big thing before like the nineties, early two yeah. thousands. That's a good and point. So it was like this weird to, era. Yeah. They're trying to almost be cultural changers where like Billy Graham was like, dude, I'm not trying to change culture. I'm trying to bring you to the truth of gospel. I'm trying to save you. Right. Like yes. he didn't care about culture and that's why he got so big. You have all these revivals and whatnot, but yes. that, dude, that's a great point where like it, again, it goes to that image part of like, I'm trying to make this cool. Instead yes. of it is the religion is what it is. It's like, nope, I'm I'm gonna yep. I'm gonna take my artistic spin on it to be accepted and become popular. That's a great point. Yeah. I hadn't, hadn't even thought. Well, about and you that. nailed it. I mean, you uh, you described it perfectly. And so it was again for me. It was this wrestle because it was like I, I could see it in my parents' life, and I could see like, man, this is something real. Like like these these people believe this, and I and I saw them walk through like some really difficult stuff, and they did it with just this like unshakable faith that just I was like that's real like I can see that that's real but then it's like you you see this other side of it and and it's like this performance side and and that's I think that that's where it was kind of the late 90s early 2000s where it like really like the performance really like went into overdrive and I've always been somebody who just desires for authenticity and so like that it, it really bothered me a lot to see that. Um, and, and just to, you start to question everything. Like, like once you realize like one thing was fake, you start to go, okay, well, well then what else? Yeah. Is what fake? else haven't and, I been told? And, yeah. And so that was, those were the biggest things is especially like when I started to get to see the background of like a lot of these like conventions and camps and things like that. And, and to, to really see the, the manipulation that was going on. Um, you know, it was, it was something where it was like, again, it just makes you take a step back and, and just go, okay, what's real and what's not. And, and again, I really wish, um, I would have had a, a book like this. Cause that's what they say. They're like, you know, be who you needed. And, and this was what I needed. Cause what I needed was someone to say like, Hey, like, it's good that you see those things. Like, and, and this is, this is a good thing. And you can actually be like a positive change in all of this. And, and I needed some sort of a, cause I was very passionate and I believed, but it just, at some point it felt like I didn't know with, which, with each thing that I was doing, am, is this part of the solution or am I like furthering the problem? And so, you know, we, we play music and we play these shows and as I'm playing it, I go like, is this fake or real? Like, am I making the church more fake or more real right now? Yeah, so, and, and you I, just start to lose grip. Go ahead. Well, and I'm, I know exactly like when this hit me and it was, it was really weird that you're saying it. And I'm wondering if you have one of these moments too. So I was going to a, a Pentecostal church. And Pentecostals, yeah, it, it's passion, right? It's tongues, and it's all yes. all this stuff, man. We're laying hands on people. It's like a like a, a Christian rock band mosh pit. I mean, it can get real yep. real quick in there. So they have a new church. They have a great band. That's part of why people come. Um, tremendous singers, yep. tremendous guitar, and then they started recording the music, and then they had these two or three screens on the walls, 
where yep. it wasn't just like one camera angle. They had multiple cameras. And I remember, cause most of the time when, you know, when the, when the spirit starts moving, your eyes are closed, your hands are up, you're stomping, right? You're not paying attention. Yep. Well, I was looking, the lead singer pointed to the per, a camera person to either switch the, the shot or make the shot happen for, I guess, I think it was her son at the, at the time. <laughs> it's her son to play the yep. guitar. And I'm like, so wait, you're, you're, you're singing like David, you know, it's like David, praise God, like David did. And you could be naked yep. and slobber and all this greatness. And then you're like, how, if you're so in the spirit, are you worried about your son being on camera for his guitar skills to be seen? And like, yep. I, I remember it to this day. And that was probably, man, almost like 20 years ago. And that yep. was like when I started going like chinks in the armor. Cause you do, you really just believe it almost like, I don't know if I should say this on the pod, but almost like children faith with Santa or the, the tooth fairy, you know, like you just sure. believe with that innocence. And when it's taken from you on any level, the whole thing can deteriorate. Right. So, well, and that's the problem with, and like to answer your first question, cause I mean, obviously it's something I'm, I'm passionate about so I can talk all night, but yeah. And I, I had several of them and that was the back and forth is like you said, it's like, you can almost like go back in time. And like, remember like what you were wearing. Cause it, when you start to see like the, like that's the best analogy I can have is when you start to see the curtain get pulled back, it's like, you can never unsee that. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's burned in your brain. And that's why, you know, even at, at our church, I'm like, guys, we got to be careful because like, if, if we are, if we're acting at all, eventually someone's going to see it and they're never going to forget it. Like we got, it's got to be real. And if it's not real, we can't do it. I would rather have a terrible, boring Sunday morning where people go, well, that was a waste of time than to (laughs) act and have somebody see it because I feel like that will do way more damage than someone just saying our Sunday morning is boring. But yeah, like that's, I I had all those experiences, uh, you know, as far as, you know, you you see, you know, the, the sound guy and the the musicians have a huge argument over the mix and screaming at each other. And then, you know, half hour later, they're, they're, you know, acting like, you know, everything's fine and they're singing and you're like, man, I was there for that. Like, but again, it was like, no one else was there. So, so they were all different people. Gotcha. So little thing. And I was wondering about that with, um, especially if you're like a traveling youth band of some sorts, like, are, are they messing or like playlist recommendations? Is it like, no, 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 you really need to close on this song in order to get people going kind of a thing. I was wondering if anything like that happened. Yeah. I mean, for us, we were never like, so we were always the opener. Like we were never, we never got to like that, like big like level because we were always young it was always like like the big thing we were just touted for is like man how young we are like because like we were like 16 and we were so we we never you know for us it was always just like um I'm trying to think of how to describe it it was this this pressure to set up the other band for like the payoff. It's hard to explain. It's it's well, like, um, do you ever watch the movie Prestige? Oh yeah, yeah. That was Hugh Jackman, right? Or Hugh Jackman, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and like he goes over that, like for every trick, like 
there's there's like a process and there's got to be the setup and there's got to be this and then it's like that that last thing is like the prestige and if you don't set it up right it's not going to land as good and it was almost like that it was it was almost like don't mess up this setup because like we got to have our our we got to have our end just really hit and so whatever you do, it was more of that kind of pressure of like, hey, just don't mess up. We, we've got this planned out. We've put a lot of time into getting all of it for the setup. And we, we really need this, this last thing to hit. We got all the emotions up. You know, this is the last day of camp or whatever. Like we got everything ready. We got a hit on this. So it was more of like. Hey, let's not mess this up. We, yeah. You know, don't, we would hate for, yeah, their setup to be ruined. Right. Don't, don't at the end of your set, you don't get to do the call inviting people to come get saved. <laughs> Correct. Correct. No matter it, if that's you exactly feel. it. And what did anyone yeah. like, did any pastors or, and I shouldn't just say pastors, I guess it would be like organizers. What did anyone actually explicitly tell you those kind of details? Or is that just one of those things that you're getting a vibe off of? Well, it was definitely a vibe because that was the thing is they're always like, like you always use the right language. And that's why the, the, the curtain has held for so long is because, you know, you always have, have the Christianese like words that like everybody knows what they mean, but they sound like very spiritual on the outside. Um, so it was never explicitly like, Hey, make sure you're doing this or that. It was always like, you know, with these weird Christianese, like, um, terminology things that you're just like, Oh, okay. I, I get what you're saying. So what, do you remember anything that they were telling you with this Christianese? That's great. You should trademark that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure someone else has said it, but like, I hadn't heard it before. Um, was there, yeah. was there something that, you were like, huh, this is what they're like. The innuendo is, I guess, what I'm asking for. Oh, man, I'm trying to think. That was a while ago. I'm trying to think. Oh, man. I mean, quenching the spirit was like the big one. Hmm. So, you know, and that's biblical. Like, that's 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 the thing is they all, you know, that phrase is in the spirit, is in the Bible. Like, you can find it. It's just, you know, you take that phrase out and now you just use it for anything. And so it's like, Hey, just make sure you don't quench the spirit. And it's like, I don't, you know, what does that even mean? <laughs> um, you know, but it can mean whatever they want. It can mean whatever they want it to mean. It can mean that you're not playing by the rules. You're not, you know, and that, to be honest, I mean, that, that really goes back to the core of like the concept of, of the book is that like, we we're fenced in like as Christians, we're fenced in. And, and most of these fences aren't from God. Like, yes, God puts boundaries in our lives and he sets up rules, but like God's desire is for us to actually like be free and like, go take land. Like we can't go take land if we're fenced in, but yet we're all just like living inside of these fences. And that's where it was like, well, cause if you step outside the fence, if you, if you don't do what everybody kind of has laid out that you have to do, that this is how we've set it up. And this is, you know, the way we like things now you're, you're quenching the spirit or, or Hmm. whatever they can, they can use these terms to kind of get you back in your fence um, and keep you from, from getting out. That's something I've never, and to this day, dude, and I'm, I, I turned 39 this summer. So we're pretty similar in like age demographic. 
I've, yeah. I still don't know, like if, if I know Pentecostal, but I don't know exactly the, the details of what you need to meet the requirements to be full Pentecostal, right? Like, do you have to talk? I know tongues is associated with it. I know passion and right. energy, but I don't specifically know like the doctrine and Lord help me if I had to like identify um, a Lutheran from, God, I don't even, a Protestant, right? Like, like right. I don't, I don't know any of those things and it's always perplexed me. And when you're talking about fences, my mind immediately goes towards those, I guess they're denominations, right? Different. Right. Yep. Right. So I was wondering, are you don't sound very denominational. Am I kind of right about that? Yeah. Well, I've got like, so I am part of a denomination. So I'm like, I'm ordained through the assemblies of God, which would be considered Pentecostal. But here's the problem is like (laughs) the difference, the difference between denomination and, and like, you know, Pentecostal is more of like an overall description. But the thing is like these words lose their meaning over time, you know, and and that's, what's hard about again, like Christianese. And I definitely did not come up with that, but like, that's, what's hard is, you know, I can say the word Pentecostal to five different people and what that word means to them is going to be completely different for each person. And that's, what's like hard about those things. And so I try not to be married to like, Again, going back to my identity, to me, my identity is not found in my denomination. My identity is found that like, hey, I, I'm a believer in, in God and I'm saved by Jesus. That's, you know, so my denomination, you know, that's, that's part of the path that I took and, and I believe in them. But again, it is, I, I think you're right. It is, um, especially with everything that's going on right now, it's like the church loves to draw lines. Like we're constantly drawing lines and saying like, okay, it's us versus you. So, and and that's where a lot of the denominations come in is it's, it's like, okay, I'm going to draw a line here. So now it's us versus you. And okay, I'm going to draw a line here and now it's us versus you. And, and now it's like, well, if I'm going to be a good Lutheran or if I'm going to be a good Pentecostal, or if I'm going to be a good, I got to stay, I got to stay inside this because, you know, that's what it means to be a good you know, Lutheran or whatever. And it's, it's crazy to me. And it's why I picked the name Pharaoh Christian. It's crazy to me that when you, when you read the Bible, like the whole point of being a Christian was like, it's freedom to go places you could have never gone, do things that you could have never hoped to do. And the fact that we have somehow took that and made being a good Christian, whoever's the best at staying inside of a fence. To me, that just blows my mind that we've done that to what being a Christian means. So you didn't use the title feral to advocate for spading and neutering? Hey, I mean, I do. <laughs> I'm an animal lover. So you you can. But to me, that's the word that I I wanted almost like a, a word where people would go, what? Right. Because Dude, no, that's... to me, that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted the, them to understand like, hey, we are like legitimately called to go do amazing things and you at the end of your life being able to say like I was a good Christian or not is not based on how good you were at staying inside some fence that somebody put up for you it's it's did you go and obey the call did you achieve things for God that you could have never hoped and and I just wanted people to be inspired that that's possible 
And that's the third option. You know, to me, that's what I needed. I needed somebody to tell me when I was 16, like, hey, you don't have to just get, become numb or leave the church. You can, you can stay in this and you can push through this stuff and you can become a true example of what a Christian was meant to look like. And you can do the whole thing and people are going to see you and it's going to change things. I needed someone to explain that to me and give me a roadmap for that. Did you, are, are you, I don't even know if classically trains the right way to go, but like, I, I guess like a Bible college or of some sort, are you like, do you have that graduate degree? Like you could be like a doctor kind of a thing with this? Oh no, not at all. No, <laughs> not at all. My, my, my journey, my journey has been so over though. I mean, I do have, I do have all the biblical training. Like I've okay. gone, I've gone through and I've taken all the biblical classes. You know, I've got, I've got a bachelor degree in some different things. I mean, I I've been trained, but my journey is definitely not a normal one. Gotcha. And I don't, I, I would hope that it's not. So, I mean, I went from you know, like I said, I wasn't even, I didn't even want anything to do with the church to, to being a pastor, you know, that is, that's been an intense journey. But, um, my first degree was, I was a sign language interpreter. Um, and then I got a degree in human development and, um, this whole time God was just working on me. That seems like those would be two worthwhile skills to have and knowledge to have, um, in a church. But the reason yeah, communication, man. Right. And the reason I was asking was not to um, um, take shots at your credentials or anything, but I was just curious and I've always been curious and I haven't, I don't know. I just guess I haven't been around the people to speak about this is where do these fences and these different doctrines come from if they're all biblically based, right? Like it's just Absolutely. like different interpretations and it's so odd that people get their value and get their closeness to God, or I shouldn't say all people, that people can get their value and closeness to their God based on like rule following a lot. And that's always yeah. been one of the weirder things aside from the, how can we have different rules? How can we have different teams? <laughs> right. Well, that's the biggest thing. And no, I did not take that as a shot at all. Cause to me, that's what allows me to do this is um, one of the problems, you know, in the book, I, I basically say that the church has become domesticated like that. That's, that's where we're at. And, and another <laughs> word you can use is, is institutionalized. Oh yeah, it's, for it's, sure. If you, if you spend long enough, just around people who only think one way. It's like you just start to think that way. It's it's just how it how it is and it changes who you are. And and so a lot of the people who did the normal seminary route and did it, you know, nice and clean and, and all of that, it's like by the time you come out, it's like you've you've already been so so ingrained in the way things are that you don't even look at it. So let me, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll pull this kind of, this example is right out of the book. So you've got King Saul who in the old Testament was like this warrior King. He was tall. He was good looking. He was the guy that you look at and go, this guy can lead us. And, and he was a King that won battles. And, and then you have David who was, he was also a warrior and he did very good on battle, but at his heart, at his core, he was, it was all heart. Like David was just all heart and laying it out there. And so you have the story of Goliath and David wants to fight Goliath and nobody else does. And he's got the courage to do it. And it's so interesting because Saul wanted him to wear 
his armor. So Saul has the king's armor. Like this is what has allowed him to do all of the things that he has done. He owes everything to this armor. And he wants David to wear it because he's like, look, if you're going to go out and face this giant, you need this armor. And so David puts it on and he tries to walk around and, and it didn't fit him. He's like, I, I can't do what I'm supposed to do in this. And so he, he took it off and he said, I'm not wearing this. Here's where the fences come in is they're not necessarily biblical. What we like to do is the things that worked for us, we want to put on other people. And the problem is like, that might not be what they need, but because they're respectful, because they, they won't take the time to really ask, like, am I supposed to be wearing this? They just wear it. And pretty soon everything's heavy and there's, there's all these fences around them. And what David did is he actually took the time to go, am I supposed to wear this? Like, is this for me? And, And not a matter of reading the Bible and deciding what's right or wrong or for you. It's like, that wasn't even in the Bible. Like that was just something that one of the the mentors in his life wanted to put on him. And he had the courage to say, no, I don't think this fits. And to me, that's where a lot of these fences come from is they're handed down um, with good intentions. And we just don't take the time to really ask, is this actually from the Bible or is this just a a good thing that, that somebody thought was a good idea? I've always wondered, and it goes to your point of if you go to a, and I don't even know, maybe like a four-year Bible college or whatever, like is if there's a typical like, hey, I graduated high school, I want to run a church degree, whatever that is, I don't know what it is, right, formally, right. but a theologian degree maybe. So if you did yep. that, I, I often wondered how many classes are like, hey man, this is how you can, this is how you'll be able to pay bills, or this is... Pew retention, <laughs> where you right. want to have your con- congregational growth 101. And they yeah. get into, I always wondered how much of it is the business aspect, the institution institutionalization. Did I get those syllables right? Right. You um, did. You nailed it. <laughs> I had to stop. Um, right. Like how much is yeah. that versus just how much is like the nine week course on like song of song of Solomon? Yep. Is that one of the one of the books in the Bible? You know, like it is. It is. Yeah. So, like, where, where you get into those obscure books where you're like, "Hey, man, it's a nine week course on this," and now you have your Song of Solomon credit because you right. you have to earn money. You do have to earn money. There is some sort of a business aspect to it, but then that becomes right. a metric, and is it the right metric? And so yeah. that, that's why well, I was you're, asking. You're about nailing it. it. Yeah, you're nailing it. And and these are these are the questions that we need to be asking. And that's the like, I think part of it is just like, we need to ask these questions. We need to ask questions like what, like how big of a part of church leadership should be geared towards, you know, organizational side and finances and, and how much of it shouldn't. And, and where, where do we draw that line? These are things, it just feels like for so long, that's all been like a a no, no, like, Hey, we don't talk about that. This is just the way things go. And the way that we're doing things is, is the right way. So just, you know, don't worry about it. And for somebody like me, I can't not worry (laughs) about it. I always want to know like what is actually inside of there? Like what's the truth inside of there. And so I think it would go a long way for the church to even just 
open up some of that dialogue to say like, hey, let's talk about this and let's have an open discussion of how much of our time really should be spent on running an organization versus how much time should be spent on on really just equipping people to become disciples yeah, it's and, almost like and actually I, go live this out. You think of it like I do at least, like counseling, right? Like like a healing mm-hmm. spiritually, helping you spiritually mature. And like the skeptic in me goes like now, you know, you drive by a church and you're outside and like there's a whatever, the, the service is over and they're doing like the typical like two o'clock lunch on a Sunday, right? And it's um yep. uh, whatever it's called. It's like, hey, we're going to um, fellowship. It's a fellowship lunch. But you, yep. you wonder like, are they doing it for fellowship or are they doing it so that you can go tell people about the great time you had at this spot? And then it's some sort of like, not pyramid scheme, that's the very wrong word, but strategy, a growth strategy of, hey, we're going to do this because this will help us to expand our influence where it's like, or should it just happen a little more organically? I don't know. Like it's, it's a, it's a weird paradigm to start to get into the intentions of it. But you do it because yeah. I think the intentions matter. Absolutely. Well, and I think that that's ultimately, you know, like we're going to do things wrong. Like, like, and that's something that I've had to just come to terms with. And I'm, I'm really hard on myself as, as a pastor. Like I really want to do every single thing I can in a way where like, it's just above reproach and everybody can say, yeah, that was the right way to do that. And I've just had to come to terms with the fact that like, I'm not going to do everything exactly the way that, that I shouldn't, I'm going to, I'm going to look back and go, I wish it were different. But I think for me, as long as our goals are the right ones, like we're going to be fine. And I think you nailed it is, is I think the biggest question is like, for the average church, like what is their ultimate goal? If they're being totally honest, again, not saying something that, that sounds good, but like, what is the ultimate goal? Like if you were to look at that pastor and give him a truth serum and say like, what do you hope is at the end of the road for all this, for this church? What is it? Because that's ultimately everything you do is going to be affected Private by jet. whatever the end goal is. Private jet. That's it. <laughs> yeah, well, and for some of them it is. And for some of it, like, God, like here's the other so thing terrible. that I saw. What's that? I mean, well, like, it's just so terrible that that's almost accepted by some cultures where they're like, nah, man, that pastor has a right to have that private jet and live in that mansion and have that luxury because he helps people. And you're yeah. like, Does, like, that's always been very odd and very, like, yeah. uh, like visceral to me. Like, like, yeah. dude, you're, it, you're, no, you're part of a cult. You've been duped. Someone's drugging you if you think that, but I don't know if that's It right. is definitely hard to like look in the Bible and see like real, real good evidence that that should be happening. Right. And so I, I definitely err on, on your side. And I think like what I'm realizing is what's happening is you have like a lot of pastors who they just want to succeed. So like, they, I don't think they go in and, and I was one of these like, so, and, and I'm not even saying I'm totally over this, but like, that's what you want to do. Like you want to feel like you did a good job. You want to be able to have some tangible evidence that like, Hey, I 
am doing a good job. And, and so it's success. I want to be a successful pastor. And so the problem is, you know, for a lot of young pastors, that is simply how success is defined is like, if, you know, our church becomes huge, if we become a mega church, then I will know that I'm successful. And so even if I didn't really get into this, uh, wanting that to be what the outcome is, that's really just the definition of success I see around me. So that better be what I go after. Yeah, I've, and it's funny because I never understood why churches thought the mega church, and I, I guess I do understand because if you're about the money, it makes complete sense. But I, I've read, um, I forget which Malcolm Gladwell book it was. It might have been Tipping Point, but I'm probably wrong. But the reason I remember okay. is because he brought up a Delaware business, DuPont. And okay. it was amazing to me that, you know, you're from Delaware and you that he has a whole chapter about DuPont and their success. And the key to DuPont's success was they limited – that was it. I think it was Tipping Point. They limited their factories to no more than 250 employees, I believe. And it's been a while since I've read it. If my numbers are off, maybe it's nice. 50 employees. But it went to right. this – like he developed this number of there's only so much influence. There's literally only so many names you can remember. You're, you're limited in bandwidth and space yep. in your brain. And when you get past a certain point, messages – are distorted or distorted. No one's on the same page because there's too much separation from decision makers to foots on, boots on the ground. And that yeah. was the whole thing. So like what DuPont would do is when they got that overflow, they would kind of keep doing what they were doing for about six months, but they wouldn't hire extras. They would build a new factory and then they were ready, but it became its own entity. And yeah. that was their business model that led to the growth. And I've always wondered with churches like, dude, what it, does it feel good to have 5,000 people and you know 20 people's names as a preacher? Like I would think that would be if I'm a teacher, again, I'm a middle school teacher, like it would suck if I had a class full of 400 kids and I knew nothing about any of them. It would feel so impersonal, yeah. you know? Oh, for sure. No, I mean, you're right on. I mean, that's, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, I had a friend who, you know, he went to a church for, for um, several years, and he actually played on the worship team. And the lead pastor one Sunday went up to him, shook his hand and asked if it was his first time there. And so <laughs> it's like, those are the things that like happen when you've got, I mean, and again, it's, I'm not saying there's no place for it. Cause I think for the right person, that is like the right fit and there's different people, but I do think it is wrong to look at that and say that is the one way to do it right. Because I don't think so. And I even, um, have you ever, did you ever watch, there's a documentary called sustainable that was on Netflix. Oh no, but I do love me a good documentary. Oh, I love document. It's not on there anymore, so I'm not sure where to where to get it. But it's it's this really cool documentary about this small farm in in Illinois, and basically this guy bought like his old family farm that wasn't very big, and he just decided like I'm going to try to farm in a sustainable way, and and he was just basically like I'm going to do everything in a way that makes sense. I'm going to keep it small, and and he started selling his his stuff to the restaurants in Chicago and he, he drove it out there and he ended up making like way more 
per acre than anyone doing the industrialized because he was saving so much money on the mm. way that he was doing it. And all these other farms had to be constantly shipping in solutions to right. problems that he didn't even have because he was just keeping it smaller. And that's he's like, look, point. I don't need to, you know, and, and that's, that's my heart with the church. And even on, on the podcast that I do, I, I did a whole episode on sustainable Christianity, this idea that, um, you know, because what happens is when you industrialize something, um, in order to to do it, you have to make everything uniform. It's a factory. Like that's the only way. Yeah, yeah everything McDonald's. has to be the same. McDonald's in order that. for it to work. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. And so that's where I think so many Christians feel like they're they're constantly trying to be shaped in this mold because like that's the only way. But industrialization is the only way you can like grow something to large numbers. And so that's my heart as well, too. I mean, even the church that I'm the pastor of is not a huge church, but there's times where I'm even like, man, I, I feel like I'm not doing a great job of, of really knowing everybody here. And, um, and so that's, that's been my heart for a while. And, and that's so interesting. I'll have to look up that idea of, of only having so many people at a factory, because to me, that's, that's what makes sense. Well, so it'd, you know, it'd be interesting, like if the pastor limit, right? So when you're, you have a square footage, obviously you have so many seats, so many pews, whatever, right? So they start to fill up. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Yep. Maybe maybe you get the building next door. You knock down a wall. You do two services, yep. right? You you squeeze yep. in benches instead of seats or something like that. But yep. when you hit the point, I really wonder, like, what would the tipping point be when you look out there and you're like, oh my god, I can only name half of the people. You know what? Right. I, I got it. It's almost like a doctor with patients where you have to go send them to another doctor. Like I literally cannot fit you in my schedule because I'm so good and so busy. But it doesn't seem like that happens in churches. It seems like it just becomes more impersonal and you get more like assistant pastors who maybe don't even preach yeah. that much, but they're there as like support. And, and, and you're like, yep. but now aren't you kind of losing the message and the vision? So it would be, I'm, I've always wondered why churches don't have like that assistant pastor. And when you reach capacity, it's like, hey man, cool. Guess what? Assistant pastor, you got the spot next door or you got a mile down the road and right. take, take your flock, bro. Like we're good. My, my bills are paid. I can pay the rent. I can pay the energy. I can afford a salary. So I'm not living like a pauper. My kids can have like, I'm good. Yep. Now yep. you take the flock. And I've always wondered why that doesn't happen. Cause it seems like most churches that does not, most churches want to expand and almost industrialize when they meet that success. Absolutely. And, and this, and that's my heart. And, and I think part of it is because we, we fall in love with our church name. You know, like like in the New Testament, it was like we are the church and and whether you're in Corinth or whether you're you're somewhere else like we're the we're the church and there was no branding. I mean, it's crazy. The science behind church branding, Is like how to make your it? church brand stick out. And so it's like it's this idea of we've lost the connection, like as the body of Christ to be like look, all that matters is that as the body of Christ, like we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. And if someone's attending here or down the road, what does it really matter in scope of eternity? It doesn't matter, but we fall so in love with like 
our church name? Like, how can we make, you know, so-and-so cornerstone, blah, 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 the best church it can be? How can we make our church more impressive than the church down the street? And that's what gets us all screwed up. Well, I feel like you lose the support, right? When you expand that much, you lose the person, like you don't know who you're sitting next to in the pew. So you don't know how to help a person in need. You're, you're constantly right. having those like fill in this card or shaking those hands and having like almost the same conversation, 40 different, if you go 40 Sundays, you could have 40 different conversations for the first time or the same conversation 40 different times because it's like, oh, get to know, great. All right, see you next week. And then you never see him because it's too large. And it feels like yes. the church at its, at its essence was meant to be a relational support system. <laughs> yeah. And well, like, it definitely was built on connection. Right. And to answer your other question, there are, there are some people doing this. Like there are like, have you ever heard of Francis Chan? No. He's a, a very, I respect him greatly because he was someone who had a mega church and, and he saw all the things that we're talking about. And he actually like just stepped down and he's like, I can't keep doing, I, I don't believe in this. And he, he is, um, a few years ago, he started this thing called we are church where, where he's trying to lead this, this home church kind of revolution where it is truly like, you know, you, you start with, with maybe 10 people. And, and as soon as it hits 20, like you, you break it off and you have two groups then. And um, it's really interesting. I haven't been following real close to see how that's been going, but it is it is encouraging to see somebody who actually had it all say like, no, I don't believe in this. I think we can do this better. I'm, I'm going to step down. And this is something I also discover about myself is how terrible of a person I am. And I say that hyperbolically, <laughs> right? But like, I'll, right. I'll talk to people about like where your mind goes when like you bring that up. So my mind immediately goes to someone blackmailed him with pictures and forced him to step down. <laughs> and, sure. And I, well, feel, I, and I feel like a terrible person for like thinking that, right? But I'm like, there's right. no way that willingly you build up this mega church and you give it away. But at the same time, you want to believe that, oh my God, he had an epiphany. He had the watershed moment. Who was the guy who um like God actually spoke to Paul and Saul, right? Yes. Where he was spoke to on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden he's like, Oh my God, I'm a believer. Like I'm converted. I'm with you, God. And he was the dude that would right. kill all the new, new Christians. Right. So yes. Yep. You want to believe that Francis Chan is that like has that kind of epiphany. And I feel bad about myself that my immediate thought was like, nah, man, someone got that dude on video and was like, right. bro, you're going to have to step down or you're going to get yeah. leaked. <laughs> well, I, and the thing is, I, I think more than what that says about you, I think that says a lot about the church. Ah, like to me, that's more you. of an indictment on the church because we've seen this. We've oh, seen, yeah. you know, moral failure after moral failure. I mean, with him, I would say probably not because the first thing he did was go and uh, – go overseas to, I think he went to Asia and just serve homeless people for like a year. Well, dude, that's so, always I been my thing, man. Like, and I'm not, and I, I don't know what it is for you, but um, I'm not connected in any way. So I guess I can say names and not be afraid, but like, sure. like Joel Osteen, dude, if you really want to help people, man, how much could you get for that land? 
And you know what? Right. I'm, I'm pretty sure there are some quote unquote heathens over there in India or Africa or some country that could probably use a little help with, I don't know, water with medicine. Right. <laughs> and like, that's yeah. always been the thing is like, dude, you're investing into this castle. And then you start thinking like, I don't know, Tower of Babel. I like how'd that work right. out when they kept building that thing right. up? You know, like I, I thought there's yeah. a lesson about overbuilding in the Bible right there. Why are we not paying attention? Yeah. And it, it's great to no. hear that about Francis, that he's like, you're stepping down to then use the influence you have to serve, which yeah. ultimately you would think would be the point of a pastor. Absolutely. Well, and, 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 and the thing with Joel Osteen is that's just what's tough is it's like, you know, I look at the Bible and I'm just like, man, uh, the first thing he says is basically like those of you who have a lot of money, you, like there's a lot expected of you and it's going to be much harder for you to walk out the Christian life the right way, the more money you have. And so when I read that, I'm like, Hey, you know what? I'm good. I'd, ra- <laughs> I'd rather not have that responsibility. Um, Cause I, I think, you know, I'm definitely guilty of, of seeing certain people and, and kind of seeing their possessions and going, man, I don't know if that lines up with scripture. Um, but yeah. for me, I am able to be like, you know what, but God, they're accountable to you. I'm going to yeah, let right? you, like, but who I, am I, I even know care? Yeah. But I know there's a lot of people who see that and, and they think that, and, and unfortunately I feel like it, it makes people question just the church in general more and more. And I think that's why when you see someone like Francis Chan step down, you got to be like, okay, what's really happening because we're seeing all this stuff. I mean, there's literally a website called preachers and sneakers that (laughs) um, literally lists how much the shoes cost of famous pastors that they wear on Sunday. And so it's a real problem. Yeah, dude, it, it, it's a, to me, it is one of those things. It is sad. I, I love how you brought that point up. Not only did you make me feel better, you brought up a great point, Eric. <laughs> well, there you go. Then I'm happy. <laughs> but dude, it, it is kind of screwed up if you really think about it, that like, that's even a perception church-wise, right? right? Like, like right. wow, people could be sitting in there being skeptical about appearances. And how did our minds get to this place? It's sad. Right. If you think yeah. about salvation as your ultimate goal, you're like, that's kind of right. sad that that's what came in here. Materialism, capitalism is now what we're yeah. people are thinking about instead of like, I don't know, your eternal salvation. Yeah. I mean, you're right on. And and this is, to me, these are the, these, these are the things that we need to be addressing. And, and these are the things that I think like this situation with, with, the coronavirus is forcing out in the open is that like, you know, with a lot of these restrictions that they put down, like the core of what the church is, which is just to like, you know, worship together and and sing songs together and, and encourage and be there for each other and, and have connection like that can be scaled down. And, and with most of these restrictions that can still happen relatively easily. But what these restrictions are really impeding on is the business side. Yeah, man. And, and so it's like to see how much we're fighting it just shows like, well, like, like we talked about before, okay, how big a part is the business side to all this? And, and is it, is that the right amount? 
right? How often are you mentioning that there's a donate button at the bottom of the screen? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. Dude, I got to ask, yeah. do you know any, you've mentioned the science behind branding a church. Do you actually know, yeah. have you, I'm not saying you've looked into it to do it, but do you know some techniques that are kind of typical for these mega churches or what they go for? Um, I'm not for the mega churches cause I've really never been a part of it. So like, even when I, as I talk about mega churches, that's just me basically looking as a, at a, as an outsider, the way that probably most of, of everybody's going to look at it. But like, what's really interesting is so like on, on Facebook, like you got to put like, you know, you don't have to, but you can put your career. So like I put pastor so people can find me. And so you get these targeted ads oh. for that. And it's, it's crazy. No way. I started screenshotting them just so that I could send them to my friends because they, they weren't believing me the kind of things that I was getting as sponsored ads. Like, like, like books, like 12 week courses, seminars to attend. What kind of stuff? Oh yeah. Everything. So, so there's one called the church. Yeah. There's one called the church playbook. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like the church playbook, but it is. And it's, it's there. Um, there's a lot of like, Hey, do you want to know how I grew my church from 40 people to 250 in just four weeks, you know, click here. And you're going, are you serious? Like, really? Wow. Like you're going to make this as like, there's just a system. There's just a program. Dude. I just, um, I, I Googled out of San Diego, California, the church playbook, the church playbook, the church playbook Academy intro is an eight minute video all yep. in one notebook created to coach pastors on how to jumpstart growth in their church and break the toughest barriers they face. Todd Tolson, dude, that sounds like a lot of churches right there. Yeah. You know, well, talking does about that sound start. like, does any of that sound like, like, right? I I didn't hear salvation, right? Like, isn't right? <laughs> I like what I don't know. I, I want to say, I sh- oh man, yeah. Um, it's like everything is like is raising funds for the church playbook on Kickstarter, the all-in-one notebook created to coach pastors, like that. That creating a healthy organization with a clear mission and create. If you really cared, why are you? Unless could be wrong unless every unless all of the profits go towards orphans in Indonesia or wherever why aren't you just giving this information out man why is right. this an academy what why am i selling this and now i get maybe the kickstart so that i can publish or whatever okay i'm i, I get that right but then oh man that's interesting why i would love to do like a little audit six steps okay. our church took to get us God. Yeah, of just like where the funds go, right? Because right. that would help you to then believe. Almost like what you're getting back at where I had a terrible thought about Francis. Like if, if that right. stuff's audited and now it's IRS-ish and you can see this is where the money's going, this is what we're doing. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay, man, I'm sorry. And now I get a little more right. faith, you know? Well, and for me, I'm even like, you know, okay, like if, if it's like really solid, good biblical stuff and you're like, look, I want to do this full time. So I'm going to charge a price. Like to me, it's like, okay, I get that. But for me, it's the overall, like, and I think a lot of these people have really good intentions. I truly do. But as I read it, it's just the, the overall message for all of this is just grow your church. I just went to the website. Hey, Eric, did you know that finally a simple process to help your church grow from zero 
to 200 is here. Yeah. And did you yeah. know that even though it retails for 19.95, but we bought it for you. All we're asking is that you pay your shipping and handling yeah. to receive it. Now, I don't know if you've mailed anything lately, but if you just give us 7.95, we're going to send it anywhere in the United States. Plus, we're going to give you a free 30-day trial to the Church Playbook Academy. Did you know that that's a $197 value? Yep. Dude, I don't know, man. I don't know if a book really costs $8 to ship. That That's where I start no. being like, yo, you got boxes of these in a warehouse that you're just trying yeah. to unload, man. <laughs> and then yeah, you gotta, and that's just, again, oh, for me, it's, it's it goes back oh. to the the heart of it is, is to me, the heart of it is just like, mm. if, if you were like, look, like we have had like extensive experience of helping people um, who, you know, want to find God, but are struggling with this, this, and this. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've searched out scripture and we believe that like, we've got a really good understandable way to apply scripture to people's lives that, that changes their lives. And there's just transformation, you know, I'll pay that I'll pay $40 for that. But it's like this heart of like, just grow your church, be successful, be successful, be successful. And people are starting to see this. And, and they're starting to get like asking the same questions that I was asking when I was 17 years old. Yeah, no, dude, no, no doubt. And it's, man, I don't know. I don't want to slander this poor guy a ton, but like at the same time, you're like, right. I want to do that for you. So pick up your free in all capital copy of the church playbook. And you're like, dude, it ain't free. I'm still paying $8. Why am I paying right. $8 for this thing? By the way, if it's digital, can't you just send me a link? I, I'm, I'm so confused right. by so much of this oh yeah, yeah that, but that's, that's where like marketing has really just come into the church right? like like this like the idea of marketing is full 100 percent, you know and that's where i do even get targeted ads for church branding how to how to brand your church as far as like um what kind of logos people are looking for how to modernize things i mean and and again this is all like this is all I'm getting as a pastor. And so you got to understand like pretty much anybody on Facebook who puts their, you know, position as a pastor, this is all they're seeing all day, every day. And so that's why I try to come with some compassion for these young guys who are like, I just want to be like, I just want to do a good job is they're just being inundated as this is what success means. And so if they don't take the time to really ask, like, wait a minute, is this really what success means as a pastor? And it's really easy to just accept it. And dude, it's again, I don't know if I'm a terrible person for this, but I'm, I'm like in my head, I'm like, because you know, God on his own wouldn't be good enough to reach people without some solid marketing. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, I mean, that's exactly what I think. So if you're a terrible person, I'm a terrible person. Right. But like you, you say this out loud and you're like, Oh, you know what? I do agree with you. I don't think God could reach those people who need him without this marketing advice. Like it just doesn't make sense. At its basic core, it does not make sense. And it's funny that you went with like the stereotype because again, it's like, dude, I'm standing in front of my, my video I'm selling you. I'm in my flannel shirt. I've got my books on some stools. I've got the cool lights on with the drum kit in the back and we're hip, man. We're hip. This is everything I've been told is hip. And you, yep. let me give you this free book. That's so yep. disheartening to me. Oh, and that yeah, sucks that pastors, because imagine being a pastor actually struggling because you want to do well and maybe you 
are a little hard up for money and you're stretched thin. And it would be so easy to fall into that. Yep. Yep. It is. And, and, and this is where a lot of pastors are at. And this is where, you know, the burnout rate on on pastors is just through the roof. Like they're like pastors are burning out. There's very few pastors that are actually like training to become pastors. We're going to have a huge shortage because like the people who like truly want to be a pastor they don't want to do this stuff like this doesn't <laughs> appeal to them but then you step into a position and and this is just shoved into your face constantly eventually they go man i must not be called to be a pastor then because i don't care about any of this yeah because my spirit you, you just get down right all of a sudden you start doubting your own spiritual integrity and you're like, yep. wow, God's speaking to me if I'm feeling this way or something. Dude, I didn't even yeah. ask you, how long have you been a pastor for? So I've been, uh, I was a youth pastor. Tell youth me two weeks. Uh, I was hoping for... you were going to be like, yeah, dude, three weeks today. <laughs> yes, I actually just started. No, no, I've been, I've been a, uh, I've been a youth and children's pastor for two years, been an associate pastor um, for a couple of years, and I've been a lead pastor now for three and a half years. So, and I've been like, like my whole life, I've run the gambit of just like, I've been the worship leader. I've been the tech guy. I've run the puppet ministry. I like basically anything that happens inside of a church. Um, I've, I've led it. And I mean, I've even worked at different denominations. So that's where I can come from it as like, Hey, I've seen this from like a lot of different angles and there's some patterns like everywhere that are very concerning. Um, and again, that's where I just want to talk to people and just say like, Hey, if like either, either you left the church for the reasons we've been talking about and you're like, well, there must just not be a place there for me. I'm just encouraging like those people like, Hey, like there is. And, and if you're someone listening that just feels like you're living on the outskirts and you're just not sure what to do, like there is, there is a way forward, but it's like, everything has to happen at the ground level. Like that's where it's going to happen. Um, and, and as, as like the everyday Christians just decide to say, Hey, I don't like what I'm seeing. And so I'm going to, I'm going to change how I live this out. Um, that is ultimately going to change the whole of it. And that's, that's what I believe really like strongly to my core. Yeah. So dude, I'm, and I was trying to do the math and it's hard with big numbers, like two, three and a couple, (laughs) but like, so you're, you're about like a decade in that. So you're pretty well, like, do you feel like you've avoided the burnout? Did you deal with a burnout moment? Do you fear that it's like coming like some tsunami at some point? Yeah, well, it's definitely not going to come like a tsunami. I mean, for me, like I can feel it. It's, it's like a, um, I don't know. It's like a wave, you know, you're just kind of like, you feel like the wave, like kind of come over you and, and, and you get to the point where you're like, all right, I just got to like, I just got to let this hit and I'm just going to have a rough day and then mm-hmm. it's going to be all right tomorrow. And so my first stint in in ministry as a youth and children's pastor it was like it ended really rough like there was just <laughs> uh it was not good and i it i i stepped out of ministry for two years and i took two years just to heal oh after I was just the like, youth one yeah oh, i was pretty dude. broken and i was ready to be done in fact i looked at my wife and i, I was just like i'm done i i can't I can't keep doing this. And, and just because it was like, I cared. So like we all have defense mechanisms and mine is apathy. 
Like, I just, I just don't care. Like, I'm like, you know what, uh, to protect myself, I'm just going to stop caring. But when it comes to like, like God, I can't turn that off. And so it's like when something really hurts, it's like, it just hits hard. And so I was like, I was ready to be done. And I, I took two years and just really healed. And so it was like, after that, I was ready. And I was a lot wiser. And I learned a lot of just how to, um, how to understand when you're getting to a bad place way before you get to the place that I had gotten to. And that's helped me out a lot. Um, what happened? At I the, also, I'm sorry. Oh, but no, I was just wondering, like, what happened at the youth ministry that was so serious? Well, it was basically, I was, I was, um, I was underneath somebody who was, who was having a rough time. I mean, just like I do, you know, like, like even, even now, you know, as, as mature as I think I am, there's days where like, this just kind of gets to you. And it was just like the, the person over me was just struggling with some of that. And I let it affect me way more than I should have. And then it was just, it just snowballed from there. And so it was a matter of like, I knew it, it just got to the point where I was like, if I stay here, like I'm going to like do damage to the kingdom of God and I can't do that. So I, even though I am really mad and I don't feel like all of this is fair, like I need to just step away and I need to just give God this situation. Cause if I keep trying to fix it, I'm just going to make it worse. And it was already getting into a, a tough situation um, where, where I felt like it was going to, it was going to get even worse. So it was like, I, I gotta, I gotta just step out and, um, you know, tried to do it as respectfully as I could Tried to do it. Um, didn't say anything bad was just kind of like, you know what, I just, I, I got to step out. Um, and, and it was the best thing I could have, could have done those two years. I learned so much. Um, and I, and I got a lot healthier in that time. I have no context to understand what the struggles or the, um, disengagement or the discrepancies would be between two people that would lead to that kind of burnout, which is why I'm curious about like, what was the buildup or kids? Are, are you just feeling like kids aren't being engaged? Is there some sort of doctrine focus that like, Hey man, when we do Bible study, we really want to focus on whatever abstinence. And it's like, no, I want to focus on drug prevention or making or, or saving your friends. Like I'm right. wondering what the interpersonal issue, I shouldn't say interpersonal. That's the wrong word. What the issue was. Or sure. Issues well, can it be. wasn't, it, yeah, it wasn't with my ministry at all. It was with, um, so when you've got like somebody over you that is struggling. Um, so for me, it was, it was my lead pastor when they are struggling, um, it, it, it affects you. It affects everything. It affects, you know, and that's why I'm so adamant as a lead pastor to make sure I'm keeping myself healthy. Because if I get, if I get in a bad place that just casts this shadow over everything. And, and so you, I'm somebody you. that like, I just, I feel stuff. And, and I know like if you're a Christian, it's called discernment. Um, you know, if you're into the Enneagrams, I'm a four. So like, like you just, you can feel atmospheres really strongly as far as just what's going on before anyone says anything and just where he was at 
and some of the decisions that he was making, it just, I let it get to me um, and just steal all of my joy for what I was doing. So that's what and I'm so curious eventually, about. Yeah. I, no, like what is a, an example of a decision? Again, not to like throw shade on him, but I'm interested right. in, in just the dynamics because I've never been a part of them. <laughs> and it's yeah. like really interesting insight that I, I agree with you. Everybody knows the tone leadership sets. sets the building. But I'm really wondering if a, if a pastor is struggling, how does that manifest itself? It usually manifests itself in, in outbursts, you know, where, where you just, you like, you say stuff that, um, that even if it's the right thing to say, it's like, you are, you are out of control and and saying like, like there's just this outburst that happens and, and it's hard to describe, but was and, it, and what, what's, what's hard about being a pastor is that like people come to you in their most vulnerable moments. And so like, if you aren't at a, in a good place, like you can just do some major damage. And, and unfortunately I saw, you know, when, when you're at a church, there's people who you get really close with and, and some of those people got really hurt by him. And so it was one of those things where that just wrecked me and, and I didn't know how to, how to deal with that. Are we talking like blunt truths? Are we talking like heavy judgments? Like what is the, um, I guess, yeah. cause, cause I mean like, so I'm trying to think of myself, if I go to someone, like if I went to a counselor, right. And I'm exposing mm-hmm. these wounds, these doubts, whatever. And someone was like, um, Sean, you just need to fucking man up. I'd be like, whoa, that's, right. that's, that, that doesn't, look, I'm sensitive right now. I need you to hug me. <laughs> right. right. Or is right. it one of these yep. things where it's like, um, you go and you explain your position on something and all of a sudden it's like, no, nah, Sean, you're going to hell for that one. Sorry. And you're just like, whoa, right. whoa, 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 that that's a little extreme. So I'm wondering what those, um, I, I guess what the tough love would be. Yeah, it's going to be more of like your first example. It's going to be, you know, the stuff that's just like, you know, even if it's questionable, like not not terribly off, but it's it's the heart behind it. You know, like like the Bible says, like you can you can say the most beautiful words ever. But if you say it without love, it's like a, a, a clanging symbol to gotcha. people. And so, you know, as a pastor, like if, if you if you're off, if you're emotionally in a real bad place and, and you're not where you need to be, um, even if you're saying the right things, it's just it comes, especially like you said, especially if it's like tough stuff, which unfortunately, as as pastors, that's the majority of our conversation yeah, right? is like sensitive, tough stuff. It's like you just start hurting people left and right. And so and like I said, I just go back to like at this point, you know, especially being a look at it as hindsight, like he was just hurting. Like he was, he was hurting right. and he wasn't in a good spot. And so like, that's where it, it's, it was just a tough situation all around. Um, but it was, it was really good because it forced me to really be able to see what ministry was like in, in its bad parts and, and come to terms with that and say, you know what, God, if, if it's for you, let's do this. And, and I, and I'll trust you. And I'm not asking you to speculate about him, but maybe just the theory in general, because you do seem to have like a, 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 I shouldn't say seem, because <laughs> that's almost like sure. 
sure your resume, right? <laughs> I'm not saying right, that at right. all, but your experiences. I'm wondering, so when the lead pastor, you're going through things, you're almost like, when you get to a point in your career, are you just going through the motions or you're just tired of people not getting it? And for for reference point, like teachers, I've had this talk yeah. with teachers who have taught for 40 years. They get fed up with kids. They're like, the kids always do this. It's like, well, this is your 40th first day of school. It's his first first day of school. He doesn't right. have the 40 different times of experience. So you may have had to talk about whatever abstinence for 75 times. And now you're getting fed up with like, how come they don't get it? And you're like, well, it's the first time this person's getting it. And it's easy to lose perspective in that way. Or there's the other stereotype where it's just like, no, the Bible wants you to be abstinent. So you should be abstinent next. And you're just like DMV worker going through the motions, like stamping documents. So I'm wondering... To not just theorizing about this particular lead pastor, because I'm not, again, trying to throw shade or talk about anyone, but almost in general, like, do you feel what leads to that, 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 yeah. that, that, that struggle? Because I, I, I can picture now what you were talking about and that I could see that being very real. I see it in teachers. They just go through the motions yeah. or they just get upset and you're like, wait, dude, did you forget what it's like to be a 12 year old kid? <laughs> right. Well, and I think that's it. And that's like, it's a great question. Cause I think for every pastor, it's different. Like, I think, you know, like for me, where I feel myself getting that is like, I, I just get tired of, uh, trying to be something I'm not like, there's times where as a pastor, it feels like you're constantly just trying to like meet expectations. And that, that gets, that gets exhausting for other pastors, it's like, they love that. And, and they get like exhausted by stuff that like, for me is, is fun. Like, like in this whole quarantine, like doing the virtual stuff, like that's fun for me. Like I do a podcast anyways. And I, like, I like this stuff. So for me, like, but I know other pastors that like this quarantine has just been like, Oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted. I got to do all these Facebook lives. And I like, and so I think it's, there's different things that tire us out. The, 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 the bad thing is you get to a point where as a pastor, where you allow yourself to operate in exhaustion mm. and that's when you're going to hurt people rather than like what I've just like decided I'm going to do. And it's just, it's who I am is like, like before I even get to exhaustion, I'm going to be like, nope, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I gotta give myself a break. I gotta do something fun and light. I've got to, you know, play a video game or something that's just dumb and light because I, I can't let myself get to that place. But if I'm at that place, if I, if I feel myself, and I think like you said, even as a teacher, you get to that place of like just exhaustion where you're just like, man, I'm just tired. Like, I just don't want to do this. Right. Um, you know, at that point, it's like, for me, it's like, I got to deal with it. Like spiritually, I got to deal with it with my relationship with God is, is okay. What is going on? And I have got to take care of this um, because I refuse to operate in this place. And, and, and to me, that's what, that's what I do. Dude, what a difficult, vulnerable spot to be in for any leader to be like, I'm overwhelmed. It's too much. It's unhealthy. I need to stop, which is probably why yep. most keep on grinding because, yep. you, uh, and not that there aren't female lead pastors, but I almost feel like it's a male trait. It's like, this isn't going to beat me. 
I can right. do this. You know, you get that machismo right. or whatever, and it's unhealthy. And and I, yep. I think you're right because the emotional exhaustion for a pastor, I would think, is umpteenth more times um, heavy <laughs> than that right. of a teacher because it, it it's so rare to just be able to celebrate and people do come with those problems and it can wear on you. And to not to not take the time or to recognize I'm, I'm no good if I go to that place, I got to stop. And to be okay yep. with like giving up some responsibilities and whatever leadership things, delegating, you know, some people yep. can feel that as, as a lack of control and they don't want to do that. They, they want to have right. their fingers in it, man. They want to push forward. Um, so it's, yeah. it's great to hear that you have that mentality, man. That seems very, you would think like, um, classically, um, whatever psychological book is it APA or MLA? <laughs> like right, right. you would think like that would be almost like the, what you would prescribe. Like, it's great that you recognize that Eric. Now, how are your coping <laughs> mechanisms? You're like, I play call of duty till four in the morning. And it's like, but well, no, that's seriously, <laughs> that's what I'm saying is like, I, there's, there's this thing with pastors is, and I've seen it take people out and it has almost taken me out. Um, is you take yourself too serious. Like, right. like, like the Bible is serious and the gospel is serious. And, and, and all of these things are serious. Worshiping God is, is, is real, like serious stuff. But like me, like, I don't need to take myself so seriously because ultimately like, dude, I was a mess when God got a hold of me. Well, yeah, and right? like, and, and so like just allowing, allowing myself to like laugh and, and laugh at myself. And, and, and that's, that's one of the other issues I see with, with this whole church branding and, and, and all of that is it, it, it leaves no room mm. for these pastors to just make fun of themselves and to be like, it's not a big deal. Hey, you know what? Our live stream didn't work this week, you know, big, you know, and laugh at yourself, but no, it's like, but what about the brand? What if somebody tried to tune in this week and now they think that we're not a good church? It's like, it'll take you out if you don't just let yourself laugh at yourself and do something dumb, like play call of duty or whatever it is yeah. just to remind yourself that, you know, Eric, you're not, that big a deal. Well, you're not, you're really not. The, the pastor isn't God, right? And it, it can, yes. and it can seem like they would feel this pressure to be that example. And it probably comes from an authentic right place, right? Like you want to be the yeah. example. You want to be the Christianiest Christian that there is. <laughs> and like, yep. and you're like, but dude, no, man, you're, um, you're actually just like all of us, right? Like that, that's the yep. beauty of the message of the Bible. What it says is like, dude, like it, no one, man, right? Like it's pretty clear. No one. <laughs> And, um, yep. it's funny cause I'm reading animal farm with my daughter and, uh, just nice. to, just to be, you know, real deep and heavy in the summer. And I don't know how much yeah. she gets, but I'm surprised by how much she gets and she's picked yeah. up and I don't know how familiar you are with the book, but basically pigs take over a farm and then two pigs battle and it starts off as a pure utopia. Right. And I guess it's like a thing about communism or socialism, whatever, but gotcha. the, the pig is now the pig in charge is now completely breaking all of his rules to be like the ultimate leader. And he has to yeah. be that leader. And you're like, no, dude, you start off, you were an animal like everyone else. You were no better right. than the horse. You were no better than the duck, even the rats you were okay with. But now all of a sudden yeah. you come to a position of leadership and you feel like you got to be elevated and you got to be more. Well, you're not. And yeah. I, I wonder if Absolutely. pastors can, like that's a heavy weight 
to be vulnerable and to almost be seen like, oh my God, he doesn't know the answers. Why am I listening to him? <laughs> right. Yep. And that's why I, I make a point to very often tell people like, hey, I don't have I don't have all the answers. And and so like for me, like I just try to be, you know, like like the Apostle Paul said, like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So like I'm not Christ, but just know that I am like really trying to be as much like him as possible. So if, if you're going to try to like, be like me know that the only reason is because I'm trying to be like Jesus, but it's probably better for you to just try to be like Jesus because <laughs> I'm not going to be a perfect representation of right. what that looks like. Yeah. It's almost like that telephone game, right? Where you get more removed from the source, <laughs> the, the weirder yeah. the message is. You're like, dude, just go to the yep. source, man. I'm just trying to help you find the source. I'm not trying to be your source. I'm trying to help you find the source. Well, and that's exactly it. And that's where, again, the book Feral Christian, that's what I'm trying to challenge people is like, look, like you've got the source. Like you can be frustrated with the church and I get it, but that doesn't like you can live this out exactly how you're supposed to. And, and you don't necessarily need somebody to walk you through this. Now, the hope and the goal is that as people watch you break through some of these things, they're going to go, whoa, what is that person doing? I want to, I want to see what's going on. I want to try that. And over time, like that would literally change the, the entire church itself. Right. And so it's this idea of like, you have it, like you have the source. So, so go after it. Like, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Man, I tried to interrupt you back when you said he had an outburst just because you were talking about Saul and David. I tried to throw in a joke about outbursts like he threw a spear at you, but I, I couldn't yes. get it in there. <laughs> but yes. like, again, that was my image, dude. I could just picture him being fed up and like grabbing this like replica of an Old Testament spear and just yep. hurling it right at your head. And you're like scampering right. like David being like, never coming back. <laughs> right. Well, dude, that's the thing about wounds is like, like if you're wounded, like if you don't deal with it, like if you don't deal with that wound, you are going to pass that wound on to ah. like the people around you. And especially if you are a leader and you have like authority over people, like you are going to wound everybody. And so like, like, especially like, here's how you know you have a wound is if you are saying like, I'm going to make sure that blink never happens again. That, that will never happen again. So that's a wound. And so now what you're saying is like, I will do whatever it takes. I will change my behavior in whatever way I need to change it so that I can guarantee that that whatever this thing, this, this hurt that happened to me yeah. will never happen again. Well, what happens is as you change your behavior, to make sure that doesn't happen, that changed behavior hurts the people around you and they actually develop the same wound that you're trying to make sure you never feel again. You're basically saying, I don't ever want to feel this again, so I'm going to just give it to you to feel. And that is what's so dangerous about operating in leadership when you're wounded is, is it you're going you're gonna to hurt people. Yeah, that's a good point, right? Because if you avoid the wound, I guess you would be avoiding the wound by being the acting in a way that almost 
gave the wound to you, right? So like if you're like, right. oh, that person gave me the wound. So if I kind of do what they've done, that they didn't have a wound. I'm the one who was hurt. So I can be like them right. and then that'll never come. But you don't realize, like you just said, it was like, well, that person acted that way because they actually did have the same wound. It's almost like a bully, yeah. right? Like you're like, dude, the bully yes. just wants a hug. No, no one wants to go around just being a jerk. I, I, I so right. believe in humanity that I'm like, I think it's, unless you're like, have a legit mental issue on some level. No, I don't think people go around wanting to just make other people feel like shit. I, I don't know. Like, right. it's just not. Uh, so the wound thing is a great analogy with that, because if you feel like I'm never going to get hurt again, I'm going to be tough. Well, now you're turning into a bully because you're just being tough to everyone. Yeah. Well, and it's like the Oedipus complex, you know, where it's basically like he got told, like, you know, basically, lack of better terms, you're going to sleep with your mom. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to go like go over to this end of the earth. And that's literally what led him <laughs> to do that. And it's so hubris. it's like, like you have that's, control that's what it. we're constantly doing is, is, is we're, we're reenacting these wounds over and over again. And that's how like, so when you know that you are healed from something is instead of going, I will make sure this never happens again. You instead say, you know what, if this happens again, I'll be all right. <laughs> that's that's when you're healed because you learn like, how to cope. Like, I don't because you know how to deal with What's it. That? You you've yeah, coped. It, you've had your coping mat. You play your four hours of Call of Duty or whatever, right? And you're like, okay, yep. cool, I'm back. I, I know how to deal with this emotion. Yep, I can handle it. And, and and like as a Christian, for me, it goes down to trust. Is it's like, okay, I know that if I've got to walk through this exact same hurt again, that like God will take care of me, and He's He'll He'll heal me, and He'll get me right. Um, because he's done it before. So like, I'm not going to like try to morph my behavior to make sure this doesn't happen. I'm, I'm going to let what's, what needs to happen, happen. And I'm going to trust that, that God's going to take care of it and he's going to take care of me. And, um, at the end of the day, I'm going to be all right. And that's how I have to deal. And that's how I dealt with, with my wound as well, because that's why I told Leslie, when, when I really was, was in a tough spot, I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do ministry because I don't ever want to have that kind of power to hurt people like that. Cause I know myself, I know I'm not that great. And I know that given that kind of power, I'm going to hurt somebody and I don't want that. And it took time for me to understand, like, if I walk in, in that way with just kind of vulnerability and arms wide open and know that like people are going to take shots, like I'm not walking in vulnerable, you know, because I I think that no one will ever hurt me. It's this idea that like people are going to hurt me. It's, it's going to happen, but I'll be okay. And if I can walk like that, like I I can do this, not perfectly. And I'm sure I will hurt somebody, but, but I can do it in a way that I can be proud of. And, and so that's what really finally got me to the point where it's like, okay, I can do this. I feel like that needs to be our philosophy with opening schools in COVID. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Hey, we're yeah. going to get this, but we can deal with it. Um, well that's, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, but it's so similar and dude, it's a great mentality to have. And I think that's, it's a lack of hubris, right? You're like, I can't yeah. control how these other people are going to feel, how they're going to react, but I can know yeah. my intentions are pure. And I can know when I start to feel, especially if you've identified like, Hey man, I'm kind of an emotional person. I yep. will then let me know what I am so that I know how to 
deal with it. I can now ride the wave versus crash yeah. in the wave. Yeah. It's a great mentality. Man. Yeah, what, man. What would you, so would you categorize your wound as one of hurt? Cause you've said it a couple of times. I'm, I'm interested how you look at, or if you even name the wound. Yeah. I'm trying to think naming, naming my wound. It's, it's always hard to name it. I mean, I think for me, how would I describe that? It was basically being underneath somebody and being under the authority of somebody, um, who, who wasn't right. And so it would have been easy for me to be like, I'm going to make sure that for the rest of my life, I will never be in a position where somebody who's emotionally compromised can hurt me. Mm. And that could have easily been my, uh, how I made decisions and, and how I behaved was to say like, no matter what, I will never let someone who's emotionally compromised, um, hurt me. But the problem is like, that's just not realistic. Like that's life. People, people get emotional and they have bad days and they, they lash out and that's just going to happen. And so that's where I just was like, you know what? No, I, it's going to happen again, but, but I'm, I'm okay with it. I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. Dude, that, and I'm just now like kind of rethinking. Um, so 17 kind of travel bandish, um, mm-hmm. youth group, and you walk away and then, yep. uh, and the reason I'm bringing it up, it's like, these are formative philosophical developing years. I felt like I could have said that better, but I hopefully like you understand what I'm saying. Oh, a lot I of get people exactly get their worldview, whatever, 16 to 25 ish, right? Like you're really yep. coming into your, Oh, I, I I'm going to vote this way, <laughs> right? Like, right, like right. I'm, I, this is my stance. This is my soapbox. You discover soapboxes at that age. Right. The fact that you um, had two really poor experiences or ha- had rocky waves, like it's kind of amazing, man, that you went back into the ocean to keep the analogy going. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like that's the thing is, is it, there's always like the, the bait of like, Hey, like, let's just get better. Let's, let's just say like, Hey, everyone else has a, has a better road. And, and it's like, for me, what it was is that's when I really saw the beauty of God. Like, like the Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. And I had some, some real brokenhearted times, um, in those formative years. But the beauty of it is like, that's where, like, I saw the real God, you know? And, and, and again, that's, that's what my message always is, is like, there's, there is something real to all of this. We, we got to get rid of the facade because there's something real to this. And, and it's in the heartbreak that, that I got to really experience that. And so it's, it's kind of like, I wouldn't give that up. Um, for anything because there was a there was a, a closeness and an intimacy to God um, that I don't know I would have been able to experience if I wasn't kind of put in that place of just being heartbroken you know and, and that's more of what it was is it wasn't like I was this devastated beat down it was just like I was just my my heart just broke and it broke over what I was seeing and it broke over situations um, but it allowed me to really just connect with God. And, and that's really, it's, it's due to those situations that I'm doing what I'm doing. Because if, if I wouldn't have gone through those, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. Right. I'm 
curious, I guess I'm curious about a lot of things, but I'm curious about this. Did you ever get any sort of, and not saying you were depressed or if it was sure. prescribed to you, but any sort of um, medication when you're going through these trying times? I did not, but I'm definitely not against it. Um, you know, I'm definitely on the right, like number one, like counseling, like even when people come and talk to me, like I'm usually pretty upfront to be like, Hey, like I'm a pastor. I can point you to the Bible, but like you should see a counselor. Um, because I really believe in it. I believe that there's, there's a lot of time and energy and work that has gone into people learning how to help others walk through tough stuff. And so, um, you know, for me, it was, I never had to go the route of medication. Um, my dad is actually a biblical counselor. And so I got a ton of free counseling from him. Um, (laughs) but it's like, that's a talking to people like, that's just important. And if like, if you truly feel like, man, I got a chemical thing going on here, I I definitely recommend people go see a doctor um, because that stuff's real. Yeah. And I don't, I'm definitely not saying it's not real, but I'm reading. um, And I just, I literally just got the book this morning, um, Dope Sick. Mm -hmm. And I was amazed again, I'm in Delaware. Oh, have you read it? Or do you know of it? No, I have not. Okay. So um, it, from what I understand, reading the back cover, and I think I got through two pages so far. Um, yeah. Basically, it's the opioid epidemic and how pharmaceutical yeah. companies are connected with that. And it's in these mining t- – it started the epicenters like a mining town where there's all this just – there's no ho- – it's hopeless, right? Yeah. So yep. – and, and not to say that the chemical thing isn't real, but right. I, I really liked what you said about you embrace that brokenhearted emotion – God was able to work in your spirit during that. And in my mind, I immediately went to how many people feel that discomfort and want it gone. Right. Where's my pain? Make it go away. And so another book I read with my daughter was The Giver. Are you familiar with The Giver? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, great book. And one of the things that Jonas has to deal with is like he gets pain for the first time and he's unable to receive medication for it. And because of that pain, he gets this understanding. He has empathy. He has love. He's able to do this great journey. Again, the book has the worst ending ever, but that was back. (laughs) That was back when I didn't realize that it was um, a series. (laughs) Right. So when I read, I was like, oh, dude, this is the worst book ever. And then it's like, oh, no, it's a series. But I guess that's where my mind went. I worry that as a society, we are so quick to help people avoid the brokenness that it leads to this inauthentic self. Yeah. And it's just going to almost oh, be a sure. cycle of you're always going to have this brokenness there and you're just going to keep needing medication to avoid it. But have you ever really gone through it and been helped through right. it so that you can realize it's helpful? Yeah. No, I agree completely. And especially where where we live, opioids are just they, – they are just – devastating families and it's it's really bad um and and i agree like that the thing is like like pain is 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 our friend i mean that's it pain is there to tell you something's wrong yeah like, that's the whole point imagine of pain imagine if is, you were getting closer to a fire and you had no pain yeah that's exactly it it's 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 there to tell you something's wrong and and it's there to like 
I don't know. It, there, there's, there's beauty in it when you're not alone. And that's what I love right. about my relationship with God. I mean, there's a lot of things I love about my relationship with God, but, but the <laughs> fact that not only like, am I not alone when I'm in pain, but like the Bible tells me that's when he's the closest. It's like, man, I, I think I can deal with this. And, and the Bible talks a lot about us being like refined by fire and, and, yeah. and like it, it's pointing to like, you know, that's how gold is refined. It, it, it gets, it gets heated up and all of the imperfections yeah, burn the away. Man. No doubt. Yeah. But it's, it's intense. And, and that's, that's kind of the life of a Christian is like, you got to expect to feel that you're, you're going to feel the the heat. You're going to feel the pain. And it's, you know, that's, that's the thing is God, God just says, I'll be there with you. Like, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel pain. You're going to feel lots of pain, but you're not going to be alone. And, and I've felt it too, you know, and that's the thing. The Bible tells us that, you know, when God's with us in the pain, like he knows it. He knows what that pain feels like. He's experienced it. And so it's like, let's get through this together, but you got to feel it. This is, this is part of the journey. Um, and so I agree, we got to be willing to feel the discomfort of like, Hey, this situation just, just rocked me. It just, it hurts. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to run away from the pain. Uh, I'm I'm going to get closer to to God, and I'm and I'm going to understand myself more, and and I'm going to grow and and be refined in it. It's and it's funny because as we were talking right now about this topic, and again, that's one of my other things I always go to, and I think I said that earlier. It's funny, but like I don't know if it is funny or not. My mind right. went to um, Karl Marx: Religion is the Opium of opioid of the people or opium of the people. Sure. And I've never looked into yeah. the quote. I've just always heard it as like this counter argument of you go to religion because you're weak, but through this podcast. And it's funny, man, I actually have not had, um, the one you were talking about. Um, what was the episode you had listened to? Chris, Chris, Chris. yes, Chris. She was like, she's a Christian. She's a spiritual hunter investigator. I yeah. haven't had a ton of, I haven't been had the pleasure to speak to a ton of Christians. I have spoken to a ton of people who are like into the idea of soul and energy right. and spirit and discovering yourself and looking to empower yourself. And I'm combining all that to in my head be like, what would be worse to be on a pill or to believe in Jesus, in Buddha, right. in, in like whatever, like this, this ayahuasca tea that you had a shaman give you in Peru so you could have right. some self-discovery and you feel empowered and closer to a spirit. And I do right. worry as a society, we're losing that connectivity because of overprescription and trying to avoid that feeling of hurt. Right. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's, I definitely am not the first one to say it, but we, we've stopped trying to treat the actual cause, you right. know, the actual problem. And, and we're just trying to numb the pain. And, and I would even say like, like if you're looking at true religion, I, I think that's accurate because, because religion is more of the, Hey, we're just going to follow the rules, come to church once a week. And, um, you know, you sing a couple songs and the, you, you put a 10 in the offering plate and then you can feel good about yourself. I think that is kind of like an opioid. And that's kind of like when you read the Bible, like that's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is like intense um, pain and difficulties and trials and overcoming obstacles and, and yeah, supernatural growth and all those things. And so it's like for me, that's where 
even for me, I feel like I'm fighting that as, 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 as people, even in my own church want our church to be kind of that, that opioid of me saying, no, that's, I won't let this be that. Um, we're going to feel pain and this is going to be real, but we've got a real God that's helping us with this. Right. Yeah. And that almost goes to what you were saying about the um, crescendoing music and things like that, where it yep. is, it, it's this weird sensationalism. And it's funny, like that quote, I, I just clicked out of it. I think it was from like 1840 or something from a German. And you're like, <laughs> dude, even back then, you really wonder, like, was it ba- in the 1840s, were people looking at church as like, God, that's just a business and a moneymaker? And how sad yeah. is that, that the message got that lost? If, if you, I guess if you go biblically, it would be 1800 years, right? Like <laughs> BC, yeah. AD. So you're like, right. dude, that ain't, it did not take long for us to completely screw this thing up as humans <laughs> and get the message oh, wrong sure. and use it in the yeah. worst way from its purest intention, which was to make you feel connected to a spirit, you know, like it's yep. just, yeah, man, it's, I don't know. It, it, it boggled it. Of course though, it's expected. And again, it happened in animal farm. It was funny. Cause we read the chapter this morning where like the animals see all their friends get slaughtered and they're confessing to like all these treasons and they see an animal get slaughtered and it makes more animals want to confess. And like the, now the dictator is completely just ruling with force and the animals who don't confess go up on a hilltop and they're like, they see the farm and it's beautiful and it's luxurious. Right. And, and, And it's just green and it's full of optimism and hope. And they're like, it's not the farm that's the problem. And it's the stupid horse that says this because they're getting manipulated right. by pigs who are wickedly intelligent, comparatively speaking. And the horse right. has this moment of clarity. It's like, it's not the farm. It's us. We must be the problem because the idea is a great idea. <laughs> right, right. No, I think that's a really good, I think that's a really good analogy of it is when you, when you just read the Bible and you read the core of what the gospel is, you know, like... Jesus died so that you're able to uh, be restored in relationship to God the Father. And, and now like you are free from your sin and you're forgiven and you're able to walk this out and you're able to serve the world and serve like, – like these are all just beautiful concepts. And we just have a really, really bad way of just muddling things up and, and, and messing up all of this stuff. And we do it again and again and again and it's i think it's going to be a continual process and and again this is just going back to the book of just it's all of our responsibility as christians you know especially if you are seeing it and you are frustrated to say like no no i'm not going to i'm not going to jump in on that i'm going to live this out real because there's always going to be just this tendency for us to, to mess up and get off track. Yeah. Especially on the growth. And that, that's why I thought the animal farm, it's funny that I'm reading it now, but the animal farm seems fitting with our mega church discussion is again, as Napoleon's force and control grows, he gets more away from his core beliefs that established and put him in power. Yep. And it, it just yep. seems like that's a real humanistic tendency. I mean, dude, you and I are in America. I'm, I don't even know when animal farm was written, but we're referring to, Animal Farm, I, I should look it up because I do have the internet, but you're bringing in like George <laughs> Marx that was what, 1800 in Germany and you're seeing this right. human characteristic and you're like, 
yeah, there's something to that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. 1944, Animal Farm, 1944. Wow. Yeah, dude, we're talking about almost 100 years later, and you're like, wow, it's it's seasonal, man. <laughs> it's like the yeah. waves rolling in. It's just people do this thing, and it's um, it's disheartening, and you kind of just have to get through it and get back to the message because if you can get through it, it gets better. You, you feel cleansed. Yeah. Absolutely. Dude, I didn't, Absolutely. You man. dropped the whole, your dad's a biblical counselor. So are you like, can, would you be labeled? Do you identify as a pastor's son? No, because he became a pastor when I was an adult. So he was always oh. very involved as the, the, at the church. Um, and he actually had, he, my, my dad's a very brilliant guy and he was a, he was a, he had his doctorate in pharmacy, but he also had oh, wow. all of his credentials for, for counseling. And so that was something that he just did like as a volunteer thing at, at his church is he would, he would just meet with people and counsel people cause he had the, the credentials. And so, um, eventually, you know, the pastor just said like, Hey, would you get your like ministry credentials? Um, so that way that like, you could truly be, you know, a, a counseling pastor here. And so that was when I was like, well, as an adult, so I did not grow up as a pastor's kid. Um, but I did grow up the kid of, of, uh, a really smart guy, um, <laughs> who, uh, who counseled people. A pharmacist. God, yeah. I, I feel like the pharmacist has the the sad reputation of being just slightly more exciting than an accountant. <laughs> yeah, he I don't know what it is. He loves it, but I think it's I think it's a he's he's kind of like a a type one like he likes things to be just the right way. He likes sure. there to be an order. So I think pharmacy that just works for oh, him. Dude. There's a right way to do things. There's a process to it and so I, I for some reason that just connects with him. And you definitely want your pharmacist to be that guy that puts the, it's chemistry, right? Like you want that yeah. stuff to be lined up tight. Yeah, for sure. For sure. How was it? Or I guess it, it was funny. Again, there I go with, it was funny. I don't, I got to get that out of my lexicon. Um, I was interesting is what I should replace it with. It was interesting that there wasn't, when you were dealing with these battles, you, your parents definitely didn't hit you with that judgy vibe or less I, from what I was listening to, I didn't feel like they did, which seems awesome. Right. And yeah. that, that can be a huge fear, especially if people are in a church, they yeah. see their children struggling with faith and they almost want to like force it. They want to double yeah. down. They want to, you're going to learn. And you're like, yep. that's probably not going to be the best way to get genuine love. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, I agree. Like, so my parents were, I mean, obviously like they weren't, they weren't happy about it, but like, they were very like, look, like you gotta, you gotta walk this out and you gotta figure it out. And like anyone who grows up in the church, I've, I've seen this with me and my friends. I've seen this over and over. Anyone who grows up going to church, there's this process of, of your faith going from your, your childhood faith of, I just believe what I'm told um, to like really like making it their own and wrestling with it and going, uh, are there parts of this that, that I don't believe and, and stuff like that. And that is almost always sloppy. It's almost always <laughs> a messy transition 
for people. Every once in a while, there's there's someone who who does it really nice, and it's like they just transfer from one to the other. But most of the time, it, you know, it's kind of like when when teenagers go through puberty. It's like there's there's a couple years that it just it's like what is going on right now because you're trying to make this transition from like well I believe this because I was told it to like I believe it because I've decided as an Mm -hmm. adult that this is what I believe and and I think that they were very wise in in letting me just mm, stumble my way through that process yeah and god talk about having faith (laughs) yeah (laughs) from like your parents perspective man which again it it that was always one of the weird things. And you hate to throw the word hypocritical because you're not trying to like, whatever, judge, call someone that. Right. But I always, again, if I'm going to admit to being a terrible person, I always saw it as right. hypocritical because you're like, dude, didn't God give everyone, the, biblically, we have this free choice because you can't force love, right? Like, wasn't right. that one of yep. the kind of principles? Like if you're a slave and you're can like if if you say you love your master as a slave do you really love them or do you actually fear them so if you have real free choice you get to right. go out right but as a parent yep. who believes this is life this is eternal life or death to be able to be lovingly supportive while a child is going through it you got to believe if you really believe it that dude i got yeah. the goods my kid's going to come back cuz this is what's good right. you know and it's awesome yeah. that they no, have that faith a ton of faith it's a ton of faith. You're right. And, and that's why I, I, I mean, that was a big part because I think if they would have pushed me, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how it would have played out, but I, th- I think it would have been tough. I think, I think it would have been a lot messier if, uh, if I didn't feel free to, to just, you know, wrestle. And I mean, and that's the thing is we should be wrestling. We should be wrestling with all this stuff. And, and even as adults, we should continue to wrestle with, you know, what the Bible says and what that means and why am I going through what I'm going through and, and all this stuff, like, like we, you know, we can wrestle with God. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be real with him and and raw. Wasn't that, I I forget the dude. Um, I called him a dude. God, that's disrespectful. Um, no, it's not. I say dude all the time. I don't think it's disrespectful. Who was the guy that there was one example. Was it Jacob? Jacob. I, okay. Jacob Jacob. actually like literally like got into this like Indian leg wrestling competition with God. Right. Yeah. And again, it goes to the whole thing, man. People can really just overlook the biblical emphasis of struggle (laughs) and like want to avoid it. Yeah. I mean, the, the Bible actually says that that's how we are being perfected is through the struggle. Like that's, that's what is perfecting us, you know, is, is the suffering, you know, and, and that word like passion actually means suffering. Like that's, what's so weird about it is, huh. is to be passionate about something is, is to suffer. Like that's when, when you feel that fire, that's, that's suffering. Like you're, you're passionate about it. And, and that is literally how God is working us into, you know, who he wants us to be. And so, you know, not only is it okay, like, you know, you should be disappointed if you're not feeling that because, you know, it's like, that's one of the promises God's given you is like, look, I'm working on you and I'm, and I'm growing you. And it's through the, it's through the wrestle and the struggle and the suffering. Man, that's I think that's a pretty good message for people, hopefully, is to like Yeah. Cause I, I think you're nailing it, dude. And it it is. It's almost like what I was saying about that worldview being developed sixteen through twenty-five or whatever, those numbers are arbitrary. 
But you do. You reach right. a point in your life where you just naturally question everything that's going on around you. And you're kind of getting curtains all around you revealed at, at, when you're developing as an adult. And yep. that that's part of it. And you want to support your child when they're transitioning to an adult, but you can't force them into some sort of, I don't think it's healthy, to force them into like not coping can like not condoning i i know there's a word that starts with a c but it sounds like a k <laughs> conforming yeah, sure conforming yes conforming i was yes. there conforming yes. to certain things because it's going to be inauthentic it, it's not going to be them yes man absolutely and how did you get back in that that's such a terrible way to say it like you're back yeah. in <laughs> I actually, so I, I started attending, it was like this group for, uh, like, like people in their twenties, it was like a young adult group and it was super laid back and it was completely different than anything that I was used to. And it was just like, it just was very chill. And it was a, it was a, it was a time for me to just go and let my, my walls down. And, um, it was, it was very safe and, um, there was no pressure on me to perform, and it was the first time in my life where there was something church related where I felt that there was no performance to it whatsoever. It was just wow. what it was. Um, and and that just started to like really get to me and and God started getting to my heart and I and I started to let other people in and, and get that community of people who are on the same journey as me and and suddenly I I just started walking it and, and I liked it and it felt right. And so it, for me, it was just that change of pace and it was to find a place that was just really authentic with no performing with just genuine people who just wanted to like learn and walk stuff out. And, um, and, and that's what did it for me. And it was just a step by step process from there to continue to, to, you know, start going back to attending Sunday morning church and, and, um, be involved in, in doing like ministry and stuff like that. And, and it was like, um, just one step at a time kind of process. So you had stopped going to like the Sunday morning sermons at that point. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was about, I think it was about two years where, where I was, uh, you know, basically the, the words that I had were, God, I believe in you, but I don't believe in your church. Like I'm done. And so it was about a two year process of me just kind of like trying to figure out what it means to believe in God, but not believe in church anymore. And like I said, it was this young adult group that really made me realize that the concept of church was beautiful and it was good. It's just, there's the, we, we, we get it wrong sometimes. And, and I can't let the fact that we get it wrong, keep me from having this beautiful thing that God wanted for me. And so it was just kind of processing through what that meant for me. And how did you come across the um, young adult group? Please tell me it was on MySpace. Tell me it was on no, MySpace. No, <laughs> but that was the exact time. That would have been the exact time. No, it was just a friend of mine. It was a friend of mine that was just like, hey, I started going to this thing. I think you'll like it, and and you should just come and try it out. And, um, you know, he had to invite me a couple times, and it was like, finally, I just went. And so that's all it was, was just, just a friend reaching out and just saying, hey, I, th- I think you might want to give this a try. So I'm going to expose some extreme East Coast bias because I like being a little hyperbolic. 
when I sure. think of Wisconsin, I'm thinking small towns. And now I'm yep. trying to put that together with like church jumping, right? Yep. And like the stigma that would go along with like, oh, you left St. Andrews and now you're going to Youth Rock, right? right. Or whatever the – fill in the name. And people are like the, – the stigma that would go with that. And I was wondering is that any sort of consideration like town-wise, regionally that you're like – I can't, I can't leave this one church and then just start going to another one. Right. Well, definitely in the city that I grew up in, it was small. So that would have been felt by that point I had moved to green Bay. So oh. that's going to be a bigger city. Um, again, not compared to like most, but like compared to the little tiny town I grew up in. So that was a lot less noticeable, gotcha. but for me, it was more of like, even like with my parents, they were just happy. I was going somewhere <laughs> like that. They're like, I don't care. You can go wherever, just go somewhere. Um, you know, we just want you to, to have a relationship with God. And so, um, so yeah, that was, that was basically my journey. And I you, hate to do this, but I think I got to get going, man. Dude, this conversation has been oh, so good. Dude, uh, see, I knew there was going to be a time limit on you. All right. So then let's <laughs> do this um, for um, consistency's sake. Man, yeah. Uh, honestly, dude, I'm, I told you early on, like, it's pretty easy for me to get into um, – three, four hour conversations. I feel like it's cause I'm lonely, Eric. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, like I said, for me, normally like right around an hour, I'm like, all right. And like, I looked up and I'm like, Oh man, we've been talking no, a long two, time. Two eleven, dude, two eleven, And it's, it, it could easily keep going. Cause it's interesting for when sure. you, when you just weave in philosophy perspectives and experiences. Right. Um, all right. So let me do this, man. And have a little fun with it. Please don't feel rushed, but uh, we'll be out of here on this. Um, sure. I'm going to, um, podcast publicly shame you. At least I think I will. Do you know okay. how you said you listened to Chris's episode? Do you know yeah. how the getting to know you podcast ends? I absolutely know how. And I even know that at least on the episode that I listened to, you introed it with alien ant farms version of the Michael Jackson no. song, which is one of my favorites. Dude. Well, don't say I, um, copyright issues, Eric, you're going to get, Oh, me. sorry, that, sorry, no, I'm just sorry, sorry. You, <laughs> I'm you, can, you can cut hope, that out if you want. Dude, I hope I get big enough where I get like a cease and desist letter. That would be awesome. That, dude, that now, would be Eric, you're number two. You're, yeah. you're the second person that knows how the Getting to Know You podcast is in that has been on. Shout out to Kristen, episode 29. She was the only one that was prepared. So see, here's the here's what I did though. Cause like I was thinking, I was like, the first first, like, man, there's so many that it's almost better to like I, I didn't let myself prepare. Cause I was oh. like, to try to overthink, like to try to overthink it's packaged. what a first first is. It's like, I'm going to drive myself crazy. So I'm like, Nope, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let see, it happen. See what comes right when, when he says it. So you're going to get an authentic response. <laughs> awesome. All right. So then Eric, we will get you out of here on this. And thank you so much for this much of your time. Eric, what is your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile.
Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This has been a blast. I feel like I could talk to you for the next three hours, which is why I was like, no, I should probably call this and make sure I can um, say say goodnight to my wife. But for <laughs> me, the the best first, man, like I, I feel like we've had a serious tone a little bit here. So I'm going right. to try to go something lighthearted, like nothing serious to get us out. So, okay. Yeah, here's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> so my best first for last is the first CD that I ever got to record. Oh. And here's here's why. I was, I was 16 and I was in high school and I got to give an like, uh, what do they call those sheets that you like fill out at the guidance counselor to say that you're, ex- you're excused from school? I, I can't remember what they're called. I know what you're talking but, about, but I don't know the name. Yeah. Either. It's, it's like a tardy sheet or whatever. So basically like, like, like my parents came into high school to basically sign a form to say like, I get to miss school and under reason we got to put to record a CD. Like how many high schoolers get to miss school to go? We, we ended up driving to Kansas from Wisconsin and, and we, it was, it was literally like we could have made like one of those road trip movies out of it. Our van broke down and like also like it was like an absolute experience of a lifetime. But I'll just never forget like that feeling of being like I get to hand my teacher an excuse slip because I'm going to go record a CD. Yeah. And so I still don't think I've 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 gotten to that level of anything else in my life because <laughs> that was just that was the best feeling ever. I felt like an absolute rock star Dude, when we I, did that. So you guys weren't just doing like Christian cover music. You actually had original music. Yeah, yeah. No. We we ended up recording two CDs. And again, Stop. it wasn't like we were it wasn't like we were huge, but like like in our area, like we just we people seemed to really like us. We wrote our own original music and and we'd have concerts and stuff. I mean, we we owned our own like PA system and we we had our own trailer and stuff like 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 not to live in, but like a, a trailer to put on yeah, a van right? to to bring it around. And so it was like you know, high school, I got to do a lot of really cool stuff because of that. But like I said, the recording of the CD was just, it was, it was so surreal. It was like, most of the time you're going like, man, is this actually happening right now? This is crazy. Like people don't realize, man, nowadays it's so easy to upload. And I've actually had a couple different um, artists, a guy I work with, Mark Tappan. He, um, Trenton and the train wreck is his band. I think it was episode 61, but it's a behind the music. They've put out three songs. They just load them up to Spotify, right? Like you can put them on SoundCloud and like, I've had people do that, but I don't think people it's getting lost. The epicness of a whole CD like that had to be, especially for a 16 year old. Like that's something you go to the store and buy. Yeah. Well, and you've got to, you've got to like find a studio that's that's willing to record you mm-hmm. you got to have the money to go do it yeah. like you got like again like like you said i mean nowadays like even like like if i if i write a song and i feel like hey i want to record it it's like i mean like i just do it and and the sound quality is probably better than like what we would have done in a studio back then. But it was like, back then it was like that really separated you. That was really special. Not, not a lot of people could say that, that they could do that. Right. Dude, what was the name of the band? How have I not asked this? God, I'm a terrible host. Oh man. I don't know. I don't know if I want to tell you because I don't want you to Google it and and listen to it. 
That's a humble brag. It, it was. It wasn't that. Like I go back and I listen to it now, and <laughs> I'm you know me being critical. I'm like, oh man, like we thought we were much better than this. But then I got to remember, like, all right, it was a different time. Like this music was very different back then. But no, the name of the band was Blindfold. <laughs> oh. That was the name of the band. So very alternative, very like edgy, you know, and that's, we were, we were desperately trying to be that, you know, trying to think what we were, what we would have been big into. We would have been big into Incubus back then. I think that was a big, I played bass. So that would have been a big thing for me. Oh, dude, no wonder. Hey, no wonder you're so cool. Bass players are the coolest in the band, right? I mean, that's the Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. Are you, a ba- are you a bass player? Dude, I have zero. My daughter plays piano and I have zero musical capabilities. I'm, uh, I, I coach basketball, so I'm lucky that I can I can jump rope pretty well. My, my foot action is decent in jump roping. It does not translate to the ability to dance. And I got, I don't know, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. No. So yeah, I, I, I'm not, I, I got no dance skills whatsoever. I can play a lot of instruments, but that has never translated to me uh, the ability to dance. Did you? So, yeah, man. Did you but, write some of the lyrics too? Or were yeah. you just musical? Yeah, we, we, um, you know, we, a lot of us wrote a lot of songs. I mean, that was the, the cool thing is we really did kind of all write. Um, so it was a true, it was never like, a, okay, the, it's the singer's band and we just come and play our part. Right. It was, it was a true, like we wrote songs together. We wrote lyrics together. Um, and I think that was part of what just made the whole thing special is it was like this sound that we had, even though, you know, going back and listening to it, I'm not like, oh, that was amazing. But it was very clearly just like man this was a a collaboration at at every level um and so it was it was like i said it was a blast and it gave me so many great opportunities um that i still remember dude what a cool time capsule or almost like a diary to just reconnect to yourself back then to be like why was i thinking that or be like oh my god i was thinking that like that's what i keep going through because the the process from the people i talk to who actually create music it's a process to put an entire song together out of nothing right to create from nothing man all right so well and it it takes your heart i mean like that's what i love about songwriting and and i'll always be a songwriter just because like there's times where like like you just you need music to write something like you you feel it and you're like this is what what i have it but it's like it, you're you're able to like just just be like I'm I'm putting some of my heart here and like you said you can go back and listen to it and go like oh man I remember I remember what I was dealing yeah, with yeah what man. I was I going remember through. what I was talking about yeah yeah no it's um it, it's something that it's a shame that more people can't get or that they don't have that sort of like an anchor or a buoy for their life yeah. you know because it's so easy dude you wake up I'm sure you feel this way I feel this way like I'm like damn I'm 39 I I still identify like I'm 20. You know, right, like, yep. like I'm like, dude, I feel like I'm still kind of that guy, my mentality sometimes. And it would be very interesting. And I don't have it if I would have journaled back then, you know, or right. like the songs are the same way. You can listen and be like, wow, the memories that you can just go to with that, man. That's that's pretty neat. Yeah, man. How and dude, I'm sorry. I know you're on time. But again, this is just what I do. I get super geeky, interested into these stupid things. Yeah, no, you're good. You're the, good, man. The, the CD cover. 
what did you do for that? Did you guys create your own art? Did you steal a logo from something? What like, and even the CD sticker, which was a huge deal back in the day. Yeah. So we did, I'm trying to remember, cause we actually, we came out with three. We actually did a live CD. And oh. so we did three, the live CD I know had the sticker. I know we went with the sticker and that one, um, our drummer was kind of into graphic design. Um, and that's actually what he does as a career. Now he's like, oh, phenomenal no at it. But, <laughs> but even back then he was dabbling in it. So he did that one, um, for our first CD, the one that we recorded like in Kansas, um, what we did was we, we introed the first song of the CD with like a radio kind of like sweeping. And so we, we oh. found a, an old radio and we took a picture of it for our CD cover Gangster. to kind of match with that whole aesthetic. Right. I like it. See, to yeah. me, that's always the fun part. Like the creation, the, the, um, just not the musical, but the artistic endeavors. Cause it seems like if you can create music, you're artistic in many ways, many facets. Yeah. Yeah, you know. I would agree with that. And it is, it's like, you know, you're trying to encompass something like you're trying to be like, this is, this is the feel. This is the first, I mean, cause for most people, like the cover art is going to be their first, um, oh, it's, you know, it sets the first vibe, glimpse. Man. It's like, it sets the, tone. you know, it's like, yeah, it's like the plating for like a meal. It's like you, you see it first and then you eat it. And, yeah. but it's like, you know, that, that seeing it. So it is, there's a whole science to it. Dude, that that's crazy. Bass player, Eric. All right, that's man, so me, man. Let's um, let's do some shameless plugs for your book. I didn't even realize you had a podcast as well, man. But we'll start. Where can people, if they want to find your book, is it like Amazon? Or are you that big of a deal? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a definitely not that big a deal. But yeah, you can grab it on Amazon. Just, I mean, Feral Christian. Um, yeah, that's that's going to be the easiest way to get that. Um, and it's it's available both hard or uh, paperback and digital as well. So, um, you know, if if people can enjoy reading it on their tablets or whatever, um, that'll be that'll be even cheaper. But yeah, that's where they can grab that. Awesome. And then your podcast is. Uh, it's the feral Christian podcast. You know, oh, I keep no it pretty, uh, pretty consistent. Yeah. And so, I mean, and it's basically just, just continuing the conversation. I mean, that's really what it is, is it's like, all right, the book kind of set the stage for like what we want to be as Christians, like, and, and just cast a vision for like, Hey, what, what might this look like to be a Christian? Um, and then for the podcast, what I try to do is just kind of take specific topics that like, have been on my mind and to say like, okay, how does this relate? And let's talk about how a feral Christian would, would react in, to this or that. So it's kind of just an extension of the book, but I'm hoping it, it really becomes a community of people who want to identify as like, just living this out really for themselves um, to, to not feel alone and to feel like they kind of have a place. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing to create, man, because some people, might not almost like what you were saying where you didn't want to go where you were not going to like those Sunday services, but that is something yeah. that can fulfill. I feel like most people have that spiritual need, right? And yeah. nature abhors a vacuum. So that's going to be filled with something and it could easily be filled with substance abuse or anything. Right. Yeah. But yeah. to give multiple ways and opportunities for people to find their own tribe, find their own niche, maybe they're not comfortable going, maybe they're not comfortable with a live stream, but their comfort area could be just kind of listening to someone talk about a, his feelings 
about, yeah. you know, topics like that could be very comforting. And then maybe they start messaging, you know? Yep. And feel That's connected. That's my hope. Yeah. And who knows, but it's awesome that you're um, putting multiple ways for people to uh, feel connected out there, Eric. It really is. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. And, and like, honestly, this has been such a great conversation. Um, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, so, I mean, just thank you for having me on this. No, dude, thank you for being so open, for letting everybody get to know you. And um, shout out to you, Eric. You will forever, as long as this thing keeps happening, and who knows how long this podcast thing will go for me, you will forever be in the Getting to Know You Hall of Fame for being prepared with a best first for last. I will have to drop Kristen and Eric's names now. There we go. That's all right. Hey, man, if, if I'm anything, I'm prepared. But no, like like this this has been a blast, and just thank you for everything you do, man. It's, it's, it's great to have someone who genuinely just wants to talk. I think that the world yeah. needs a lot more than that. Yeah, I, I I feel kind of shysty wanting to like monetize on it, but it, it's one of those things where I do feel it's a pretty unique and cool concept to just try to make a collection of people, allow random people to get to know each other by listening to other episodes and also like listeners getting to know just different perspectives from everywhere. You know, it, it's yeah. it's great that people can know about your story because maybe it'll connect to someone, whatever, in the Netherlands or in India, right? Like, right. you just, it's funny, man. You never know. So, thank you for yeah. supporting it. Thank you for giving so much of your time. Say goodnight to your wife for me. <laughs> All right. I will. I will. And I'll tell her this great conversation because I know that she. She definitely feels the same as me. So thank you so much for having me on, man. Yeah, dude. No worries at all. Have a good night. All right. Bye. Bye. On the subject I like most. Thanks to Eric for giving up so much of his time. Although he kind of didn't give up all of his time, uh, as we find out towards the end. Ha <laughs> ha. Dad jokes. Hanging out and being so open to discuss his beliefs. And actually, more importantly being on the short list of just three listeners to date who were prepared for the best first for last segment. If you want to know more about Eric, check out his book, The Feral Christian on Amazon and his website with the same name, theferalchristian.com. Thanks to andrepsyche.com for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Go to andrepsyche.com for some trippy merch that's worth checking out. And if you have not already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The word of the pod. Word of the pod is institutionalized. Institutionalized is the word of the pod. Maybe I should have made it due diligence because of the whole best for last research, but institutionalized it is, in case you're wondering, because I love syllables. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You pod when you use it on yours to get a shout out on our next podcast. Don't forget, before you stop, don't push stop, push subscribe. Then click, hopefully five stars, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. And finally, hook us up. If you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise with, on, the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. All you need to do is message us, and we will work out the details. Bye, con Dios.